this is a historic uh, event, an episode today, because we are recording episode 400 of your Accidental Tech Podcast. But that's not even what's the most impressive thing about this episode. I'm sure there was another time, but to the best of my recollection, I cannot recall a time that I have looked at the show notes and it says follow hyphen up colon and then there's a bullet and nothing else. <laughs> How many times do we have to go over this chat room? Would you like to inform Casey whether or not we have follow up on episodes where there are Apple events? I knew, does anyone in the chat room know? No, but oh, no, no, no. I know how the rules work. I know. I understand. Do you though? Do yes. you? Because every time we have one of these episodes, you're like, oh my God, we're not going to have follow up. I can't handle it. No, because usually you, you have, well, somebody probably you has a list of follow up items that we choose to ignore. Is there any doubt that it's John? You said probably you. Like, it, it's not me. <laughs> well, somebody deleted them all, and that wasn't me. So. Well, I deleted all the ones that we'd already done, or at least that's what I thought I did. <laughs> that's what you thought you did. Now we get to come to it. All right. So what, the, the revelation that Casey has at the start of this program is, look, if before the show starts, I delete all the follow-up, we have empty follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's the secret? I could have done this for 399 episodes? That's all it takes? Google Docs never forgets. I'm going to bring up the history pane later and pull it out. But it's not relevant okay. to this episode because it's an Apple event episode. Isn't follow-up always something we've already done by definition? <laughs> and, and don't get confused here marco have we done the follow-up it's meta follow-up <laughs> oh my god i would like to complain right up front so i can be happy for the rest of the episode can we do that is that okay you can complain right. even faster thanks to verizon's new 5g broadband ultra wide brand network marco it's like we planned it what a <laughs> flawlessly executed perfect segue Oh my God, what was going on with that Verizon tie-in? Oh my God. So I know you two are upset about it. Can you explain to me why though? Other than just saying, oh, Verizon, like expound on that. Elaborate. Why is it upsetting that uh, that Apple would talk about Verizon? I think it was just not very classy, which is a very like snobby thing of me to say. And I recognize that. But my why? perception, why, why is it snobby? Why is it not classy? Because they're shilling for another company, another company that's only relevant to America, which I am the king of forgetting that there are other countries in the world. But even I yeah, know. I'm going to say, U.S. centricness doesn't seem like something you're averse to. Right. Exactly. I, I agree so with they're, you. So they're shilling for another company. Do you, do you think they that Verizon paid them to do it and they're keeping it a secret? I don't think it's that simple. So my, my best guess is that this is part of a much bigger co-marketing deal between the two companies. Because the thing is, like, what, what a lot of people outside of the U.S. don't realize is quite how much power over what phones get sold the Verizon stores in the U.S. have. Like, I know so many people, you know, usually not, you know, nerds. Most most nerds switch to AT&T to get the iPhone before it was on Verizon. So, you know, they, the nerds are, are on their own. They do what they want. to. They go to whatever care they, they need to to get whatever they, whatever phone they want. But for all the non-nerds out there, I know so many non-nerds and especially, you know, family members and stuff like that who don't follow tech in, with any kind of enthusiasm uh, where the way they get a new phone is every few years they go to a Verizon store and they get whatever they can get a good deal on. Is that still true today, though? I don't know if that's true. Yes, it still is true today. And so what, what I think has happened here is I think Apple recognized that a big chunk of their U.S. sales could go up 
if they had a really good deal with Verizon because one of the ways that Android took off in the US early on and one of the one of the ways it's still pretty important is that carriers always were really good with like you know having deals between like the carrier and an Android handset maker usually Samsung and this is one of the reasons why Samsung really had has such a dominant market share because Samsung plays the sales game really well with the retail channel because they would have things like give uh, bonuses to the salespeople who sold the most Samsung cell phones in the carrier stores. Like, there's all sorts of deals like that, that, like, marketing deals and, and commission deals. And it's all it's all kind of, you know, a little bit skeezy, but that's how it works. And so the reality is the carriers have a large say on what phones are pushed on people and what phones people actually buy because they can they can control things like price incentives. One of the biggest ways Android got big early on was these like, you know, buy one phone, get one free kind of things the carriers would do. There's all sorts of stuff like that. And so my theory here is that in order to improve US market share and to to kind of put a bigger dent in Android here than than, than usual, I think Apple and Verizon made some kind of deal where Verizon is going to be pushing the phones even more heavily. And and they already have a special price thing, which we'll get to later, um, although AT&T matched that as well for, you know, in, for however that works out. But I'm guessing this is part of a much bigger thing. Like, I don't think there was some like flat fee that Verizon paid Apple to be part of this event. That's too simple, and frankly, that wouldn't be enough money to matter to either company. I, I think it's much more likely that this is about like a deal that's going to be like over the whole next year, Verizon is going to extra hard push the iPhone onto their customers because that is worth a lot to Apple. And clearly, <laughs> Verizon must be giving Apple something that's worth a lot to them <laughs> because <laughs> this is... <laughs> yeah, that's well put, actually. No, I'm glad you said it that way. That's really well put because I your theory is the best theory I've heard so far other than just money changing hands. But yeah, it definitely seems like Apple was willing to make a trade for something. And, and something big. And something big, exactly. And I don't know what that is. And your theory, like I said, is the best I've heard. But it just felt weird. I, I don't mean to cut you off. And, and I do want to go back to John's question in a second. But what else did you have to say about that, Marco? Well, I mean, I have a lot to say about 5G as a whole, which we'll get to later. <laughs> um, but but yeah, just it just felt really gross. I'm with you on that. Like, it, it seemed, and I tweeted to this effect. Like it seems like it, it's beneath Apple. It's it it seems kind of like a like a cheap move, almost like a sellout move. But it's like, why does Apple need to sell out to anyone? And it just it seemed like this was a, a Verizon commercial that happened to also have some new iPhones in it. Yeah, I agree. And to come back to John's question, like, why was it gross? Why was it uh, not classy? So it is. It would not have been terribly surprising to me to have. Apple say, oh, and you know, this 5G works really well with Verizon. And it would have been only slightly surprising to me to say, oh, and here's their CEO and he's going to talk for too long. And, and like that still would have been weird, but okay, that's fine, I guess. But when it got really gross and really weird to me was the forced repeated mentions. And I can't cite yeah. a specific, specific example offhand, but like, oh, it's going to be so easy to play whatever this Fortnite clone is. Uh, you know, it'll be so easy to play, you know, whatever, whatever game on your new Verizon 5G iPhone. And it's just like, what? No, no, stop it with that. That's not Apple. Apple's supposed to be the classy one that doesn't put the stupid like AT&T or singular logo on the phone. They're, the, they're supposed to be the good ones. And this just feels 
icky. Like I just, it really, really felt gross to me. So John, am I, am I bananas or, or do you agree? I mean, I'm not sure if the two of you are aware, but the iPhone doesn't work without a cell network. (laughs) So, uh, and Apple doesn't have one of those. They were thinking of doing one. They were thinking of being one of those MVNO, whatever things, but they didn't. Uh, So you kind of need a cell service plan unless you just want to use it as a really expensive iPod touch. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not super interested in hearing the Verizon CEO, like, but there are always boring parts of a keynote, right? But I don't think it was classless or gross, the the fact that Apple makes deals with carriers to promote their phones. They always have, they always will, and they should. The only place where I would get concerned about it is if it starts to affect the products they sell. And there's a slippery slope argument to say, well, they have this starts with this. And the next thing you know, it's filled with Verizon crapware. Well, you know, if that happens, then I'll be mad about that. But I'm not mad or disgusted by the fact that Apple is selling a phone that one of the important new features of which is, hey, it's capable of 5G and then has carrier partners say 5G. Guess what? That's pointless without a 5G network. And we have one of those and we had a partnership. I mean, we've all seen like I'm very often fooled over the past several years by an ad that I think is an Apple ad, but it doesn't quite look right. And I realize it's actually an AT&T ad. (laughs) I mean, there is there is a, you know, symbiotic relationship between the carriers and the phone makers. And yes, the phone makers compete for the for the love and favor of the carrier, all the stuff that Marco described. Right. But as long as that doesn't affect the product that Apple's it selling, and so far it hasn't, with the possible exception of Apple putting that 5GE in the little status bar. But you know, it's one letter; it's not a it's not a big deal. Right? But other than that, <laughs> there's not crapware filling my phone. Uh, I don't have to. I no longer have to enter a two-year contract to get a reasonable deal on the phone. Phones are all unlocked from Apple, right? So things are going in the opposite direction of gross. I don't find Verizon and the 5G and the pushing of 5G and the pushing of uh, Verizon. To be gross at all, I would be sad if I was AT&T that I wasn't in the keynote and didn't get my thing promoted like that or Sprint or T-Mobile and we'll get to the price differences there too. But that's just how, you know, how this market works. There are carriers and there are phone makers and this is the relationship between them. And I don't, I don't like, I don't see a class distinction. Like I don't, I'm, carriers aren't my favorite companies in the world either. And there should, you know, we should have more competition in the US than we do, but it's not like I hate Verizon so much that I can't bear to see Apple mention its name on stage when they're introducing their 5G phone. So, I mean, I guess, you know, whatever. If it bothers you, it bothers you. It didn't bother me personally. Um, and until and unless something changes in the product experience that I think is sort of impinging on. And this, you know, there is an argument to be made here that the whole services revenue push and Apple's uh, willingness to... Uh, potentially compromise the user experience in favor of their own revenue could eventually lead to that. Again, that's there is a slippery slope argument there that you might be able to get some traction on based on the accumulation of recent evidence. But for this particular phone, with the possible exception of the $30 that we'll get to a little bit later, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Unfortunately, in the U.S., for the carriers, there's definitely a tiered system. There's the big ones, and then there's the also-rans. And the also-rans at various times have done ridiculous things to get any kind of traction and at other times have kind of gotten screwed over by the big carriers, which is like it's happening this time around. But I don't, you know, I don't know. I I, I didn't find it gross or classless. I just found it boring, kind of like the game demos. (laughs) Well, and again, I think the, the, the repetition is where it went from boring and annoying to genuinely distasteful to me. When it's when it's part of like you know the the original iPhone announcement with AT and T on stage, that's one thing. And if they would have done something like that, where like there was a segment where the Verizon person came out, which, you know, like if that's all it was, and then 
there wasn't any other mention of Verizon anywhere else, that would be one thing. But what made it feel weird was that it leaked out. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it leaked out of its little segment, and it was spread throughout the whole presentation. And so it was kind of like having a Verizon logo stuck on the phone. Like, it, 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 it kind of had that feel of, like, this is a commercial for Verizon and Apple, not, like... <laughs> it's not like having the logo on the phone. You, you, if you don't see the keynote, you don't hear any of this stuff. It doesn't affect the product. It affects the presentation. You can say, I didn't, I didn't like that Verizon wasn't corralled to its segment and it got mentioned elsewhere, but all right, fine. It's like, it's the presentation equivalent of having having a Verizon logo on the phone. I agree. You know, like, like, because it, it was, it bled out from its borders. They must have some kind of deal with Verizon for this thing, and that's part of the deal is they get more mentions in the keynote. It's not the end of the world. Like, what did it do to you? There were multiple elements here that felt gross. It was the fact that Verizon was mentioned outside of their little slot at all, plus the little pricing trick they're pulling, plus the fact that it kind of sold 5G benefits as Verizon-only benefits in some of its implications and wording. I mean, I, I still don't quite understand why that's gross. That sounds like advertising. And yes, there was obviously a partnership deal. That happens all the time. What about all those times back in the good old days when Epic would be on stage showing us some <laughs> knight in armor swiping at a dragon 20 times? You know, are they trying to say that the only games you can buy for this phone are from Epic? They made it sound like all gaming is this Epic game. Like, it's it's an advertising part. Anyway, whatever. Oh, yeah. like, and I, I would expect it from a Verizon ad. It makes sense for a Verizon ad to try to sell 5G benefits as Verizon benefits. It doesn't make sense for an Apple ad to try to sell 5G benefits as Verizon benefits. But that's the partnership you're just talking about. They Money changed hands, I'm sure. Like It's not like that Apple's doing this out of the goodness of their heart, right? There's some kind of deal. Uh, but that's that's the business they're in. Well, it really chapped my bottom, uh, which is why I wanted to get it off my chest. Because the rest of the presentation and, and the stuff that was said, I thought was really, really good. And... As per tradition, I'm going to try to go in timeline order, and then we will get about two sentences in, and we will abandon ship. <laughs> uh, we started with the we started with the HomePod Mini, um, which I don't have any HomePods in the house. I am too cheap to buy a big HomePod. Um, this one, the price at ninety nine dollars, that was surprising to me, and it seems like it's a decent product. I still don't think I have a place in my life for it because we have a couple of um, Amazon tubes. And that seems to work just fine for us. And yes, I'm aware of privacy implications and so on and so forth. I'm not interested in having that conversation right now. But HomePod Mini looked good. And in direct contrast to me uh, whining and moaning about the Verizon 5G that appears everywhere, uh, I thought the set for the HomePod Mini demonstration was super cool. And I liked the way they like went into, what was his, his name was Bob. I think they like went from Tim and like into the shrunken room. That's of, of course, it's obviously full size, but like it made, they made it look like the room was shrunken to show the, the, the HomePod Mini and all that. I thought this, this was very well done. And I really thought they handled the introduction well, even though I'm not entirely sure that product is for me. I think it all depends on how this thing sounds like they'll they'll show you all the little thing and the speakers and so on and so forth. But the market that it's competing in has little tiny things that you talk to that are also speakers that are way cheaper than ninety nine dollars. Right. And yeah. so it, I think, kind of, you know, the three hundred fifty dollar HomePod had to justify its price somehow and kind of fail to do that. The ninety nine dollar one also has to justify its price. Uh, because you can get a little thing to talk to for way less money. So this better, what benefit does this have that one of those little Alexa, I'm sorry, everybody, one of those little (laughs) Amazon Echo Puck things uh, has that, you know, uh, the the advantage they sold was, well, this sounds better. It probably does sound better than one of those pucks because those pucks sound awful, right? 
but does it sound you know 80 bucks better or whatever whatever the price difference is uh that's the question and the, the other thing is as far as i can tell this home pod mini has exactly the same feature set as the big HomePod, uh, plus or minus the software update that's coming and coming soon for the big HomePod to make it have all the features they described here. So they kind of introduced this little product, which is a cheaper, smaller HomePod. At the same time, they told you about a bunch of software updates that are coming to all HomePods, but they sold them as features of just the mini because they're not on the big one quite yet. All right, so we can talk about the software features uh, in a little bit. But in general, there's feature parity between the two of them. The thing that worries me about this mini and one of the things I talked about is that it has an S5 chip in it, which is, you know, the watch chip, which is, it's a fairly fast, you know, it's not, it's no slouch. What I forget which core it is. It's like the A10 cores in the S5. I forget. Um, you know, so it's got CPU power, but the, like the complaint, one of the complaints about the whole HomePod line is it's not too quick. And I mean that in both the time and sort of, you know, smarts right <laughs> it some, takes a while to answer me and sometimes the answer is not satisfactory and an s5 does not give me much confidence that this mini is going to improve on the responsiveness of its bigger brethren right you know i understand cost controls and you don't want to use a big expensive chip and so on and so forth and why honestly why should you need a big expensive, like, why do I need a HomePod with an A14? Isn't that massive overkill? Yes, that absolutely should is massive overkill, but I'm still faced with the issue that my 300 and something dollar giant HomePod does not answer me correctly or quickly a lot of the time. I just ask it to turn the lights on and off most of the time. And, you know, I give it a couple of seconds and then I go over and ask my other puck to do it. <laughs> I have three, three, I have the Google one, the Amazon one and the Apple one, and they can all do this job. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I always give the Apple one first shot, mostly because it can hear me from really far away. But sometimes it's like, wait a moment, or your lights aren't responding, or it's like, oh, just. And so now there's this little one that's cheaper, certainly not any faster. And if the benefit was, you know, that big expensive one that you love, now you can have that experience all over your house for only $99. I'd be like, yay. But the, what they're promoting to me is, you know, that mediocre experience you have with your $350 one? Now you can have that <laughs> same mediocre experience for $99. And that's <laughs> not attractive to me. And none of the hardware features that they showed made me think that this little one is going to improve in any of the areas that my big one is currently failing. I've used HomePods for about as long as you have or the same. And... I really love them as speakers. They are really amazing speakers. It is very hard to find anything anywhere near that price range that sounds as good. The microphones in them, as you said, are the best. Like Compared to every other voice thing I've ever tried, the HomePod hears me better from further away and and with more ambient noise like it's it's especially clear like in kitchens where i have found the amazon echo family of products has a really hard time hearing me when there's any kind of white noise source like a like a kitchen vent fan going or like water running or something like it, white noise seems to really hurt the ability for echoes to hear me whereas home pods you can basically whisper from across the room with the oven fan going and it's fine like it'll still pick you up just fine but it's slower every single time. Like if, in good conditions and in bad conditions, the HomePod is just too slow to respond. And then when it does respond, as you said, it is often less intelligent of a response. And it 
frequently will mishear you. It'll think you hailed it, and it'll go, hmm, from across the room when you weren't talking to it. <laughs> and, or it'll start talking back to you when you weren't talking to it. And what they showed with the HomePod Mini might be impressive, but anybody who has tried a HomePod before or owns a HomePod or who has even read reviews of the HomePod to, to hear all these all these problems with them, they didn't really answer whether any of those things are fixed. Because the HomePod is already by far the best sounding smart speaker and by far the, the, the best hearing smart speaker. Not even close to other ones. Like I've, I have old Echoes, new Echoes. I currently have a pair of the Sonos One uh, things that is supposed to be competitive with HomePods with audio quality and it's totally not. HomePods are way better. Um, these things all allegedly are smart as smart or as, as good sounding it's not even close the alexa ecosystem is way smarter and way faster and way more consistent to respond to voice commands and the siri ecosystem sounds way better and hears you way better but is way stupider and slower and less consistent with with the responses and so during this entire presentation of the homepod mini i kept thinking like I don't really want to believe, you know, like I, they're selling this wonderful, this wonderful situation here, but we all know that Siri is still Siri. It's hard to tell if they know that, like it's, it's hard to tell the way they sell Siri kind of makes it seem like they don't know how mediocre it is. And I'm sure this is just PR and everything. I hope this is just, but like, do they not, do they really not know? Like, do, do the, do any of the higher ups at Apple use an Amazon Echo? I'm guessing the answer is no. And I think that should change. I, I, I would call upon whoever leads the HomePod project and then every person above them in the chain of command should spend a few months with an Amazon Echo in their house and using that as their primary, like, you know, kitchen cooking thing. I mean, I mean they're Apple executives. I don't know if they have time to cook, but if somebody in their house does, like, <laughs> just somehow, like, get them to use these devices. Because I, it, it seems like they they are off in their own little world, you know, the little like Apple, you know, white world, I guess, <laughs> where like they think their stuff works the best. Because in some areas of the company, that's true. And even for the HomePod, it, I get it. It does sound the best, and it does hear you the best. So it is the best in certain areas. But I don't. It doesn't seem like they realize how mediocre and inconsistent Siri is compared to its competitors. And until they can fix that, no hardware is going to save this product line. Now, that being said, looking at the HomePod Mini, like just on specs alone, seeing like the, the type of speaker drivers it has, how they are arranged and, you know, the, the design of them and, and comparing that to the performance of the big HomePod, this thing for a hundred bucks is probably going to be very competitive against the i guess that it's like the newest echo which is now a ball but it's not the little ball that's the new echo dot now it's a big ball <laughs> it, price wise this is the same price as the big ball the little ball is 60 bucks the, the big ball is 100 the, the and the, the the various small echoes fluctuate between like 30 and 60 dollars depending on you know various specials and things but if they're competing against those with quality and everything they're going to lose because they're they're so much cheaper I'm guessing they're trying to compete with the mid-sized Echo family. Not even the Echo Studio, which is the more HomePod-looking one, which is, I think, $200 or... Oh, it's, uh, yeah, $200. 
if they compete well against the mid-sized Echo, then they're going to be priced exactly like it, and that'll be great. And then the, people will compare it only on Siri, where they will lose. But if you if they compare it on audio quality, they'll probably win. I hope that the HomePod as a product line continues to grow and get actually competitive. When the first one came out, the price was just ridiculous for what it was. Again, not for sound quality, but for being a smart speaker. It was a you know it was way out of the market. And this new one, this is this is a decent price, a hundred bucks. That's a good price if it's a good product. If it's if it's anywhere near as good as the big one was. Uh, by the way, it, it, I, I say this as past tense. I don't know if they're ever going to update the big one again. I kind of hope that any benefits that come <laughs> down the road, I hope they do. And I hope if the speed of the local processor is indeed a, a pretty significant limiting factor in the responsiveness of the device they need to upgrade that. <laughs> but honestly, I bet it isn't. I bet this is mostly a, a Siri problem, like a, a cloud a cloud service problem of you know why it's so much slower and why it's less consistent and why it's stupider. I don't think the CPU on the device is, pro- is likely to be a, a major factor there. But anyway, this presentation looked really great, but it didn't answer the key questions that we all have. Will this actually be better than the original HomePod at, the, at Siri? Uh, will it have fewer false hailings? You know, is, has Siri really gotten better? Like in the presentation, they they did this whole thing about how great Siri is, but if you paid careful attention to the wording, they didn't they didn't actually announce any changes to Siri overall. Like today, you know, like it it, it was all like over the last three years, we've been getting getting better all the time. Um, they did announce a couple new features. The um, what's my update? I thought was cool. The intercom could be cool, but none of it was like the Siri service itself is better or the Siri service itself is faster. Like it was just like, we're always making it better. So it, this might be great. It, it might be a game changer in some way, but I, I'm, I'm guessing it won't be. I, I'm, I'm guessing we still have to wait for Siri to get better. And it seems like we're just waiting forever for that. There was one hardware thing they touted, and this was the U1. So you can hand off to hand off the audio to the thing. Cause it knows where you are. Cause you got a phone with a U1 and the thing's got a U1. And so that's, would be a cool experience if it worked well. That's actually a, a use case that I find a barrier on all of my various smart speakers. Is if I'm listening something to something on my phone, say I'm listening on my phone uh, on my AirPods, my phone is just sitting somewhere, and I want it to suddenly come out over the speakers. I really have to think to make that happen. Whatever device you use, whether I want it to happen on the HomePod or like, okay, well I can go into the little pull down thing and pick it and send the output there, right? Or if I wanted to go in something else, I can select that as an output, like. I would like to be able to just speak into the air and say, please take over playing the audio that's currently playing on my phone. And the U1 handoff thing sort of promises that experience if it actually works. Um, and maybe getting to your point of like, what what's the, why is Siri not not quick, right? It's not quick in terms of wits uh, based on, you know, the Siri service being stupid and, and answering the wrong question. Um, but it's not... Uh, Ah, there it is. <laughs> but it's not it's not quick based on uh response time probably because of the server, but handoff should happen all locally, so the server shouldn't be a factor. So if they can get that working, maybe that works a little bit better. But anyway, that's that's one small hardware hardware innovation. The intercom thing I th- like this this is where it kind of bothers me that uh that the home pod in general like, it doesn't have, like, a UI. Obviously, on it, it doesn't have much of a UI. It's got, like, the touch buttons and everything like that. But 
sort of how features like intercom make me wish there was like some big control panel, not just a setting screen somewhere buried in one of my iOS devices, but like a place that you could go, a screen that you could pull up that's like, this is the control panel slash dashboard for your HomePod. And features like intercom, you can personalize to say, should this interrupt my wife's AirPods when she's cooking when I intercom to everybody? Or should it only interrupt the kids, right? And like during what times and like just all those little picky features like that. That for a new feature like this from Apple, the 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 settings for it are probably going to be fairly thin, and I, I just don't feel like there's a place to go to deal with all the HomePod stuff. Um, I, I did like that Apple is trying to push the idea of the HomePods as uh, as HomeKit hubs because that is an important function they serve because they're on all the time, they're plugged in all the time, and they're in your home, so it's ideal for that. Uh, but I, I feel like that. The idea that you that you need or want a HomeKit hub for a HomeKit house is kind of techy, and most people don't really think about it in that way. Like you can use your Apple TV or HomeKit hub. I think you can use any of your devices, but of course your devices come and go. And if you're trying to sort of live the HomeKit lifestyle, this is just one more sort of sad reminder of how strategically maybe unwise it was for Apple to get out of the Wi-Fi uh, router business. Because, you know, if, if you're if you're going down that path of I'm going to have a smart home and home kit and things that listen to me and so on and so forth, and you're going to buy this expensive thing and stick them all around your house, like this Wi-Fi mesh networking, right? You're already buying a bunch of these little turds with CPUs in them and spreading them over your house, <laughs> and they already have to be on Wi-Fi. Just, you know, maybe maybe Apple will come back to it someday, but I feel like that is a potentially a missing piece now amazon and google don't do that either for the most part i don't think either one of them have a product that is also a wi-fi hub it just seems like a thing that apple could do that would make this product more attractive kind of like well i'm just going to get the apple wi-fi for my house and by the way every one of those wi-fi things is also a little smart speaker home pod thing that i can talk to right i keep thinking about the fact that i've purchased two google homes a big one and a small one and google has given me two of them for free because i because i pay for their <laughs> cloud storage right <laughs> Apple doesn't do that. Apple's not giving me any of these little balls for free, despite the fact that I've also paid for their maximum amount of cloud stuff and will pay for Apple One. But that's not the kind of business Apple runs. But the fact that Google devices are slowly outnumbering everything else in my house is purely attributable to, to Google giving me their cheapest little puck thing. And you know what? When when the HomePod doesn't hear me to turn on the lights, the next one I go to is that cheap little puck. And why do I do that? Because they're it's right in the same room. It's right there next to the lights. So... Yeah, I mean, I think I actually officially have Google Home devices because I have Nest cameras. And they made some change about a year ago where, like, you can just now turn on a Nest camera's ability to be a Google ball. Because like, they have microphones and speakers in them. So, because you could do, like, that talk-through thing. Yeah, so, I didn't like, turn you, that on, though. I didn't either. But, like, I, I technically have, like, three of those. <laughs> like, they just, they're shoving them into everything. And, and Amazon, too. You know, Amazon, to their credit... They have so much hardware that can be an Amazon, uh, you know, Alexa powered thing, and and it, it isn't just their hardware. They've they've also enabled other people to build that in to the point where I think I think I have at least one TV <laughs> that has it built in, as well as God knows what else. I mean, my printer probably has it built in at this point. <laughs> like, there's so much there's so much stuff that has Amazon Alexa or the Google Assistant or both built in that you know it's they're just kind of everywhere they're just shoving it any place they possibly can to really make it ubiquitous for for as many people as possible and 
Apple is just never going to compete in that particular arena. Where they do compete is everyone has iPhones. So they, they use that to their advantage. And if you have an iPhone and you have an Apple Watch and you have iPads and you have Macs, then we're going to have that everywhere. And I think it's smart for Apple to, to build on that, to have something like Intercom you know, to build on that. But that assumes or, or that requires that their home smart speaker situation get a lot better than where it is today. So if the HomePod Mini succeeds and they actually end up selling a bunch of them, then great. Then they will have a really competitive ecosystem against uh, what I think now is going mostly to Amazon for a lot of their customers. But that's a big if. And I think that still depends a lot on Siri being way faster and way more consistent and way smarter than it is today. And Apple has seemed to not be able to nail that ever throughout Siri's entire lifespan so far, which is now, I mean, Siri launched with the iPhone 4S. Uh, so that's that's a long time ago now, and and it should be better than it is for how long you know they even said like Siri was the was the first voice assistant like yes or you know whatever they whatever qualifications they put in that that was true. The Echo came out a few years later, and it just iterated way faster and got way better than Siri very quickly. Whatever ability Apple has to get a fire lit under their butts to achieve great things, you know they they get that ability sometimes and they focus it in great ways usually. That effort has seemingly never been focused on Siri, and, and I, I wish it would be because so much could get so much better if it was. Yeah, they also mentioned the CarPlay integration. That was one of their only Apple moments. It was like, hey, we have a thing in the car. We've got your phone. We've got your iPads. We've got your computers, and we've got these home speakers, and it can all be integrated so you can intercom and someone who's in the car pulling up the driveway can hear it. I forget what the demo was, but like all that integration makes a lot of sense. I, I think it's good for apple to be building on that the, the u1 thing the handoff because they've got the chip in the, your phone and they've got the chip in there that all makes sense it's held back by by the serious stuff that we talked about i think it's still held back by the pricing because apple doesn't have a 30 dollar on sale thing that you can put in there <laughs> and I, I, you know i think that the only way you're going to get people sort of on board to this thing in sort of a, an ambient way is you have to have enough benefits to get them over the line to overcome your weakness, right? I feel like the series smartness and speed is their weakness, but you can overcome that if you can say, well, they're cheap and they come with a bunch of other cool features. And, you know, Apple getting third-party music services is trying to eliminate another weakness. So they didn't announce Spotify, but there are future announcements coming. So we should assume that they're working on something with Spotify. Just get rid of the reasons why people don't want one of these. Reducing their price really gets rid of a big one. They seemingly can't get rid of Siri being dumb and slow, so get rid of some other stuff. Make this a little bit cheaper. Make a really, really cheap version. Bring back the Wi-Fi thing. Just get it at people's house whether they want it or not, Amazon Prime style. And then they can build up from there with uh, services that I think, especially local-only services that, that avoid their server apparent server-side weaknesses. They get a situation where, you know, without you even realizing it, pretty soon your whole house is wired with Apple stuff. And one of the big advantages they can lean on, and then they did talk about it in this presentation too, is the privacy angle. Having a bunch of Google and Amazon stuff in my house makes me feel less good than having Apple stuff because in general, I think they're better on privacy and their business doesn't depend as nearly as heavily on collecting information about me and selling targeted ads and yada yada. So I'd rather have a house full of Apple things instead of a house full of free Google things that are giving me or a house full of Amazon pucks, right? There are strengths that Apple can lean on. It just, and, and they're tipping that seesaw away from, you know, they're, they're eliminating some of their weaknesses or they're mitigating some of their weaknesses and they're trying to lean more heavily on the strength. So this is, even though it sounds like we're down on the iPod mini, or the HomePod mini, every aspect of this product is, an, is some important thing that Apple needed to do. 
just I think what we're saying is they still have farther to go. The only way forward that they would actually do, Apple is never going to be the cheap, everywhere, ubiquitous version of anything. If Apple's going to succeed in this market, they're never going to take that path. They're never going to be, they're never going to have like Siri in everything. Here's a, you know, $25 Siri puck for your car. Like they're never going to do that. That's not their style at all. And they aren't good at it, even if they wanted to, but they they wouldn't. The only other path forward for that is, I think, you, you, like, they're, if they're not going to be the cheapest, which they never are, then they should be the best, which they often are. That's their their way out of this. Like, their their way to, to have this market work at all is to become the best. The challenge is that being the best in this particular market requires them to be the best at something that is, like, you know, a, a like, you know, big data, serious machine learning, AI-powered web service, basically. And that's not something they have been great at. And that's an entire category of skills that Apple has consistently shown that they can get like yeah, 75% of the way there. And then they just kind of stall. They plateau. They, they're, they're never able to get as good at that kind of thing as other technology giants. And I don't think you have – like this is the kind of thing like if you would have asked me before the Echo came out like – which company was going to have the best one of these things? I would have said Google, no question, because it's like it's right in their wheelhouse to have the best voice assistant for all sorts of reasons: data, machine learning, talent, AI talent, um, and just having the massive you know web of data at their disposal. Like this is obviously the kind of thing that Google would be really great at. I would never in a million years have guessed that Amazon would have been able to build that talent and build that service in only a, a couple of years. Like they built it very quickly. They built up this entire thing from nothing, the entire Alexa service, to a point that it was really competitive and it, that it was better than Siri in many, many ways, and it was way more consistent and way faster and everything. Amazon just did that. They just built that from nothing in a very short time without having a massive history of that kind of talent in their company the way Google has. So if Amazon could do it, Apple can too. It's just an issue of they seem to have just not done it for whatever reason. But it isn't that they can't. It's that they seemingly won't. Or just haven't. And that's more concerning to me. But again, hopefully at some point they will get that wake-up call. Siri's not good enough and they have to fix it and they have to actually prioritize it and give it resources and make it, you know, just make it happen. Direct their attention towards making Siri not only good enough, make it the best. Make it better than all the other ones. That's how Apple is going to win any category they try to play in. And if they're not willing to do that, they're going to lose. Uh, Google, I think, is still the smartest. But I think what Amazon was smart about doing was, for the basic functionality, make sure they're you know make sure we are fast and responsive and work in the eighty percent case. And I think Apple Apple's grand vision has always been more like Google's, and that we're going to be super intelligent and do everything. It's like I, if I had to give some advice to the Siri team, I would say narrow your focus. Just turn the lights on as fast as Alexa does. Just try that. Like, pick a few criteria. Like, stop thinking about how you're going to parse this complex grammatical sentence to integrate these seven devices and yada yada for some cool demo and just say, let's get the basics right. Because Amazon started with the basics and expanded outward without ever losing the basics. And I still think Amazon is more sort of brain dead straightforward than Google. Google actually does try to be like, just say a bunch of stuff and we'll figure it out. Because honestly, once they get into text, they have their entire business is built around just figuring out what the heck people are trying to ask for, right? So I think you're never going to catch Google in that area, probably. They have more data, they have more expertise, they have more experience. 
but to be losing to Amazon in the how fast can I get the lights to turn off? That's just that's just embarrassing. So like fix that first before and you know fix basic things like your uptime and the responsiveness of your servers and you know all, all that stuff before thinking about the more complicated scenarios and the sort of you know understanding what people say in complex ways because that's that's where the you know the the real the next bend in this curve is going to be as i always talk about this being able to have a conversation with one of these things and to clarify and correct and they show demos of that all the time but it's in in real life it's not it never feels natural you feel like i could explain this to a toddler but i can't get you cylinder to understand what i would like (laughs) you to do next and that's frustrating so whoever gets over that next is going to have a big advantage but for now we just want to play a song turn off the lights whatever yeah. I did think the CarPlay demo was really cool. Like if you um, ask where the nearest hardware store is and then you go and use your phone in, in your car with CarPlay, one of the destinations it will offer is that store that was found a little while ago, which was yeah. really neat. I, I remember watching that demo. I think it was Target or whatever. I'm like, look, I, I forget what, what kind of store it was. And I'm like, I have five of those stores and I know you're going to pick the wrong one. You're going to pick the one that's closest <laughs> or you're going to pick the it's one. True. And that gets me into the exact situation I was just talking about. When I get into my car and I think it has directions to target, but it's the wrong target because I don't want to go to that one because it's a madhouse at this hour. How? What can I do or say to correct the situation? I can't say, hey, dingus, know the other target because only Google would understand that. <laughs> There's no way in hell that Apple's dingus is going to do anything useful in that. And now you're just faced with this thing of like, again, if it... Maybe not a toddler, but another human, you could say, oh, I see what you did there. It's nice that you set up my directions to go to the place. But actually, there are several of those places that live near us. And by the way, I always go to this one. And so stop recommending that one because parking is a nightmare. I never go to that one. I always go to this one. And this, with all these cylinders, you just can't convey that. You just can't. There's nothing you can say to the air. There's no secret settings panel that you can probably find. And it's just that kind of helpfulness becomes frustrating because now you have to cancel navigation make sure you don't start blindly following it because it's taking you to the wrong one or maybe like look i know where all the targets are don't try to be helpful don't give me speaking directions to target that i've gone to a thousand times i know how to get there so i don't know i'm I'm just railing against these intelligent cylinders in general i think it is it makes for a good demo and it's a good idea and apple should integrate their stuff but their specific instance just triggered in me like I, i i can see how that would fall down in in my scenario with the particular store they picked. And I don't think my situation is uncommon. I mean, you're, you'd be lucky if they picked the closest one. They'd probably, instead, they like, you know, send you to some... Pick one in London. Yeah, no, it'd be like directions to Target Avenue in Pennsylvania. And it, like, <laughs> it just, well, for some reason, Target is 300 miles away. I, I had one of those today. Today, I was coming <laughs> home from a place. I, I took my, mm-hmm. my, dropping my kid off at a, a place that I hadn't been before and I used the directions, right? And on the way back, like I, I always have Google and Apple and I, I run them against each other. It's my thing that I do. Um, and on the way back, <laughs> I said, okay, okay, Apple Maps, now is your time to shine. And I can tell you to get there, there were there were many routes that, that I could go, and I picked one, I picked the fastest one. It was like 21 minutes, right? On the way back, I say, okay, you know, directions to home, which is like, this is in your wheelhouse, Siri. I know you can do this, right? You know where I live. You can give me those directions. It's really easy to do. Um and it gave me a route, and it was, interestingly, it was a different route than I'd taken there. But I'm like, fine, you know, traffic patterns change, time of day, makes sense. And the time estimate was an hour and 45 minutes. I'm like, what? So I, I canceled it, and I did it again. I manually typed in my home address, and I said, give me directions to there from my current location in this parking lot. And it said, yep, an hour and 45 minutes. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, Apple Maps. That's not, that's not right. And so I went to Google, and it told me 21 minutes, and I got home in like 21 minutes. 
<laughs> what the hell? And no, it wasn't sending me to the wrong place. It was sending to me to my house. I looked on the map I'm like, yep, that's my house. That's where I live. Yep, that's where I am now. Stuff like that does not instill confidence. All right, let's move on to iPhones. We start with the iPhone 12, which is like the iPhone 11, 6.1 inches, but all of the new iPhones. Hey, did you hear they get Verizon 5G? <laughs> yeah, actually, 5G was the first feature announced before they showed any of the phones. That's true. That's like, true. like that was, if you're going to keynote order, 5G was more important than the iPhone, apparently. Which is so <laughs> weird to me. I mean, 5G is not particularly important this year, but for future-proofing these phones, which some of which will surely be in the lineup for years and years, 5G is pretty important. Right? Uh, agreed. And, and, and them also talking about how we're going to make it not destroy your battery, I think is also important to point out. Yes. I, I think 5G, the problem is that it's being grossly oversold for what it actually is today. And it, and like the way, you know, I know part of this is just, you know, Verizon being Verizon, a cell carrier, you know, selling their network, claiming things that, that you know, <laughs> claiming the benefits of things that are not due to their the cell network technology. Um, but it just seems like both Verizon and Apple pushed 5G way past what it, can actually deliver like in what they're hyping it up and in the future once we have widespread 5g coverage i'm sure it'll be great anytime the cell phone radio technology changes it is better afterwards like it is a better world things do get better but it takes a while to get there and it's a transition and then once we get there the actual problems that most people have are still kind of the same because of the fundamental you know, physics and economics problems of cell phone coverage. I don't know a lot of people who are looking at their LTE phone today and saying, wow, I wish I could do X, Y, Z, but I can't because the radio technology is too slow. <laughs> like that's, that's not a problem that I don't think I know anybody who has. Every person I know with a cell phone, if they could ask for a way for their network to get better, it would be two things. It would be either or both give me better coverage in whatever area I don't have good coverage in or in my house or in a building or whatever. So it's coverage issues or data caps on plans that, yeah, we'd love to use our phones to download at a gigabit per second, but we do that for a few minutes and we've used up our plan for the month. Or even if we have a quote unlimited plan, we will hit the throttling limit when our speeds get dropped down to like, you know, 128 K because we hit some threshold of gigabytes on our quote unlimited plan. So all like the things that, that we are being sold on 5g, like, Oh, you'll be able to stream all this video and, and, and do all this. Yeah. We can stream video now at, at great quality. If we have good coverage and if we're willing to burn a bunch of gigs of data, but we usually don't have the coverage that we want in many places. And we don't have that many gigs of data to burn on our plans. There are aspects of 5G that I'm sure, you know, they talk a lot about improvements in dense areas and stuff like that. And th that will be nice once it's widespread. And eventually, long term, if 5G technology allows them to deliver faster speeds and faster transfer and more transfer for less money on their end, then maybe our plans will get a little bit better. Maybe. <laughs> but well, Let's not go crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> but at root, this is solving a problem that is not the biggest problem most people have. And 
the problems that we have of not great coverage in lots of places and of not really unlimited data and, you know, having to kind of conserve our mobile data still in certain, in certain places in certain ways, those problems are still here and they don't seem like they're going away anytime soon. And so what we really have here is some wonderful hype about a bunch of stuff, some of which might someday come true, <laughs> some of which will probably come true, but you know maybe not for a few years, and some of which has nothing to do with 5G. <laughs> like the, Some of the benefits they were touting, doctors will be able to save lives because they are able to use to view the scan of we or whatever. It's like, yeah, we can do that already on LTE, like very well, actually. Um, they were saying it would download faster, so you could wait seconds to get the big image instead of minutes. Like there was, it made sense in context. Yeah, but like the speed, like LTE is very fast when it has good coverage and when you have a good plan. <laughs> like the, it's very fast already. We're we're way past diminishing returns on a lot of the stuff that people do on their phones, and so again, like this will be nice, but I think it was oversold. It, it was kind of like when <laughs> I don't know if how many of our listeners will remember. And John, I don't know if you were even paying attention to the Intel ads in the uh, mid to late 90s, but when Intel released MMX, this was their their uh, multimedia instruction uh, set, they had this huge ad campaign that strongly implied, or maybe even outright said, that MMX made the internet faster for you. <laughs> because that was the time when everybody was getting internet access and Intel wanted to sell its new chips. And so they said, they, they had ads to the, to the effect that MMX just made the internet faster on your computer. And I'm sure that was based on some kind of claim where like, well, web browsers have to run certain things that, that you know, to decode images, maybe they can use some of the MMX instructions and maybe images will decode faster and maybe web pages might render, you know, 10% faster if you have one of these chips or something. It was probably based on some kind of technicality like that. But what most people said, what most people thought when they saw the ads was, oh, wow, this CPU is going to make my internet connection faster. And the real problem that made the internet so slow back then was we were all using modems. Yeah, MMX might have improved things, but there was this other massive problem in the way that was way more of a factor. And I feel like this is kind of like the inverse of that. Like, we're really selling and bragging about this faster network technology. And while that is relevant, it is a factor, and maybe in the future it'll be more of a factor, today it's not that much of a factor. And and today, like we have way we have much bigger other problems with our cell phone data plans and coverage and everything else that this isn't going to really change in the near term. So I hope it changes in the long term. And and I don't know enough about the details of five G's capabilities to know like are they real? Are they going to be able to cover further? Are they going to penetrate mountains and buildings better? Probably not. Uh, you know, are they going to drop the price on our plans? Probably not. <laughs> Uh, are they going to, you know, make more unlimited plans that actually that are actually unlimited? Probably not. Um, so, you know, there's all these massive problems in the, you know, in the in the areas that are holding back how and when and how quickly we use our cell our cellular data. Five G might eventually make some of them better, but it's making seemingly none of them better today. Well, just like the other thing, uh, I I thought you know, with uh, you complaining about Verizon, I thought their selling of five G was mostly accurate like they didn't promote it in things that it won't help with they promoted the few areas where it would that's why they were showing the doctor with the scans because it's not like you're downloading an image of a brain those documents are humongous and they're the type of document that at max ideal lte speeds might take a minute to download and now they're saying it will take seconds in those same ideal conditions if you're on 5g if you're going to sell the benefit of your faster connection you have to find a use case where it actually matters 
They found one. Giant medical images. Is it a common use case? Are you a doctor? Do you care? No, but that's why they sold it. Similarly, low, la- low latency for gaming. How many people are playing Twitch games on their phones? I don't know, but if you're going to try to find, well, does anyone care about latency of the cell network? Well, I suppose if someone was playing a game that required, like a network game that required really low latency, okay, that's our thing that we'll sell. Like, I didn't, I didn't think it was overblown because the scenarios they were selling were so targeted at the specific strengths. That's why they didn't sell, oh, it will penetrate mountains because it won't. It's not better at that, right? In fact, you know, this is, this is the main, the root problem of 5G is that it, its main improvements are in use cases like they, like they said in the thing, dense population, stadiums, you know, essentially short range but your problem is there's just too many darn people, right? Um, and so that's what they sold. Like now, I don't think that's particularly compelling for all the reasons you said, because those aren't the problems people have. But that is what they sold in the show. They sold in the keynote the strengths of 5G, which are not particularly compelling to most people. But I thought they were accurate. And I thought they were uncharacteristically underselling it by instead of saying up to, you know, 3.5 gigabits. They said 3.5 gigabits in ideal conditions, which sounds worse. If you just say up to, which is totally the Apple move, you just say up to, it's like, well, you get anything between zero and that, which is true, (laughs) but misleading. But if they say, here's what you get in ideal conditions, everybody looks at that and says, oh, well, who's who's ever in ideal conditions? Certainly not me. And so they dismiss it, right? So anyway, it didn't bother me. 5G is a problem to sell for just based on the technology. But, I mean, we're all glad these phones have it, right? And I'm particularly glad that Apple at least says, we have to try this out to see how it affects, but says they're doing something to control battery drain because in most cases, you probably don't even want to try 5G. Like, that's what that segment was about. It's like, look, don't even bother. Like, if you have a use case where you don't think you need it, you're not the doctor downloading the one gigabyte brain scan, just don't even try to get on 5G. Just stay on LTE. If LTE signal is strong and that's all you need for doing whatever the phone is doing now, like checking email or something, just stay on that, right? As opposed to a phone that's going to stubbornly say, no, I'm going to be on 5G all the time because 5G is one bigger G than 4G. Therefore, <laughs> I'm going to constantly be on 5G and destroy your battery. I'm glad the phones won't do that. I hope that feature works as advertised because that's the phone recognizing all the stuff you were saying, Marco. Is like, is this a problem you need to solve? Well, if you're playing League of Legends or you're downloading the brain scan, fine, we'll kick up to 5G. But the rest of the time, you don't have to change anything. The phone will just go in LTE and everything will be fine. That's that's how I hope it works. We don't have these phones yet, but I'm glad that that was their pitch because that part appealed to me. All right, so let's talk about phones. The iPhone 12 and 12 mini were kind of lumped together. The 12 is the successor to the non-pro iPhone 11. It is a 6.1-inch screen, but it is 11% thinner, 15% smaller, 16% lighter. And it has an OLED display now, which is really cool because the uh, iPhone 11 non-pro did not. And it has considerably more pixels, if I understood this right, 460 pixels per inch, which is a surprise. I didn't expect to see that happen. Yeah, this well, this is that's kind of interesting, though. Sorry to interrupt here. No, no, go ahead. Um, go, go. So it, it does have more pixels because the move to OLED, they made it 3x retina instead of 2x retina that the previous LCD was. Um, but actually, the, our friend Steve Trouton-Smith was, was poking through the simulators, and I, I verified all this earlier today. The previous 6.1-inch line, that would be the 10R and the 11, the base 11, that had the same resolution in points as the iPhone whatever Max. It had 414 points across at 3X. Um, the the 6.1s 
up till now had 414 at, at 2x. It basically took the screen real estate of the Max and shrunk it down so it just looked smaller. Uh, but you, you still had like the same system layout as the Max. The new ones are 3x density with the OLED panels. And what Apple has done with almost all of the OLEDs to date, they actually made everything bigger, basically. They, they, they would use the same screen real estate from previously what was a smaller phone when they moved to OLED. And so, for instance, the iPhone 10 and 10s and 11 uh, Pro, they have the same 375 point width as the old 678 series did. You wouldn't get more text on screen or more width of images on screen at default settings. Everything was just a little bit bigger. And what they've done with the new 6.1-inch line, the the um, 12 and also the 12 Pro, they now both match at 390 wide at 3X. So this is great if you were accustomed to the 11 Pro or the 10 or the 10S. But if, you were, if you're accustomed to the 10R or the base 11, you're actually going to have less screen real estate now at the same size, uh, and everything will just look a little bit bigger. It is interesting that they went this direction with it, but otherwise, it is very nice that it went OLED. All of the current models now, all the 12s, have OLED screens, and they're all 3X density, although the Mini has an asterisk on it that we'll get to later. Yeah. Although I think this is a theme of the of this year's iPhones, and it's a theme that I like, which is uniformity across all of the products that Apple fields. Mm-hmm. So they all get OLEDs. They all get, you know, it's the whatever they're using XDR on it. Like they're all HDR capable. Like the, the screens are, you know, again with the caveat that we're going to get to in the mini in a second. They didn't they didn't downscale everything for the cheaper phones. So we're going to talk about this in a lot of the features, and we're starting from the cheaper phones, which is the twelve. But I. It, it makes somewhat of a problem in their line, and I think we'll get to that a little bit later too, which is like, okay, well, then how are you how are you charging me $200 more for this, and how do you actually differentiate them? But I love the fact that essentially they have one set of hardware for making phones, and they don't deny it to you if you get the cheapest one. So now the cheapest one doesn't have just a good screen like it always had. It has the best screen because it's the same screen as the other more expensive one. Um as far as we know, like, I don't I don't think there's actually any difference in quality in the specs that they said, you know. Um, there is one small difference um, besides the, the asterisk that we'll get to on the Mini in a minute. Um, the non-pro screens max out at 625 nits of brightness. The pro screens are 800. In general, the uniformity of, of the, the hardware features of these products is uh, something that makes me feel less bad about recommending the quote-unquote lesser phones because they're really good and they have good stuff in them. Uh, I think, what is the other one? True Tone uh, is the other thing they all got. They, they all get the ceramic ceramic shield, whatever latest Gorilla Glass, glass 4X drop thing. That's not just on the high-end phone. It's on all of them. Correct. Um, oh, John, John, but, don't forget, you get great 5G service with Verizon. <laughs> <laughs> we already mentioned that 5G across the whole line. Imagine if they had the iPhone 5G was just the expensive one, but the other ones still stayed with 4G because, you know, if you want 5G, you got to step up to the pro. No, they all get it of all sizes, which may actually be. Well, let's get to the mini here, right? So the mini, the mini is the phone that has the most compromises because it's mini. Um, it's it's in the 12 family. It's smaller. Uh, we talked about this before it was announced. Smaller phones have smaller batteries. They also have smaller screens, 
but that's really their, this phone's, as far as we know, because they don't tell you lots of specs, as far as we know, this phone's only saving grace when it comes to battery power is that the screen is smaller. It's got the same system on a chip. It's got 5G. It's got all the same stuff inside it. The only place it can save on power is either by being clocked lower or having less RAM, but we don't know about those yet. And Apple sure wasn't telling us. Right? We, we have the RAM from uh, Xcode stuff. Oh, that's good. Is it, is it less or is it the same? Um, the Mini and the 12 both have 4 gigs, and the Pro and Max have 6 gigs. Yeah, so it has the same amount of... Uh, I'm, I'm comparing it to the 12, because it's the only... We've talked about the 12 and the 12 Mini, right? The only place the 12 Mini saves battery power is by having a smaller screen and maybe having a lower clock CPU. But the battery is way smaller. And so when we think about, hey, everybody gets 5G, the last thing that I want destroying my battery on the Mini is even well-intentioned attempts to hop up to 5G to do something. Like, I hope that you can disable 5G on the Mini because battery life is the big question mark on the small. I know everyone loves small phones. Maybe Marco's going to get this one. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But small phones have smaller batteries, uh, and nobody likes it when their battery runs out. So I really hope that the Mini is doing as much as it can hardware-wise to make that small battery last acceptably long because the 12 is sitting there right next to it with a much bigger battery and a slightly bigger screen and i feel like the 12's battery life has got to be way better but margo you can talk about the 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 visual compromise on the mini screen yeah so this is this is the asterisk that all the phones now have 3x oled screens and they all display you know at, at 3x with their relative point sizes except the iphone 12 mini it does have a 3x pixel screen and it does have OLED and it's, you know, it has, you know, you mentioned the the cool new uh, glass, the super hard glass. I'm very curious to see how that is in practice. I have high hopes because they push it so hard. Um, and, and I hope in addition to drop performance, I hope it's also very scratch resistant as Casey mentioned um, uh, mm-hmm. last, last week and on uh, the uh, relay crossover show this week. Um, ultimately the, the weird thing about the 12 mini screen is that it takes the same point resolution, the same screen space resolution as the 10 and the 10 S and the 11 pro. And it shrinks that down. It's 375 points across and it displays that scaled down back to the size that it was. Now, if you, I actually, I took out my phones for comparison here. I have a few phones with me here. I have my 11 Pro. I also have my old uh, trusty Jet Black iPhone 7. I never had an 8. Um, so I have an iPhone 7, Jet Black, feels great. And I have my old trusty iPhone SE, the first-gen iPhone SE that's based on the 5S. And just for a, a size comparison here, I noticed instantly when I went from the uh, 11 Pro back down to the 7 size, which is the same 375 point width across, you know, screen layout-wise, everything seems a little small. Because it's smaller. Because, w- again, when they went to the 10 line, they just kind of blew everything up. They made everything a little bit bigger, screen space-wise. What, they, what they're doing now is undoing that change only for the Mini. So the Mini is going to, it's going to appear, like, the content on it will also appear Mini, basically. Like, everything's going to look a little bit smaller. That's going to be really interesting to use in practice. And, like, now that we've gotten accustomed to the bigger phones uh anybody who steps back down to the mini size who's been using like the 10 size until now 
that's going to be a noticeable change, that you're going to have the same width, you're going to fit the same words per line in default settings, but everything will just be smaller. And of, and of course, I'm sure a lot of people will just crank the font size up one or two notches to make up for that. Then you'll have obviously less space. But I think it's an interesting choice that you know to, to have that be not a narrower logical layout size, but to just shrink the what was the mainstream mid-range size uh, in the pro line at least, and then what was the only size in like the six, seven, eight, you know, not kind of the plus like that line. That is now the the, the width of the mini, uh, logically. They are the number of pixels on the screen is not actually enough to display that resolution at 3x. It's close. To do that resolution at 3x, you need 1125 across. The pixel is 1080. <laughs> so they have to shrink it by like what is it like nine percent or something? So they have to scale it down. So the as far as I can tell, so what we know so far the mini appears to be running in a scaling mode all the time. And this is something that we haven't seen since the 6, 7, and 8 plus line. Uh, so we'll see if that actually makes a difference with like noticeable visual quality. I'm guessing for most people, it probably won't be noticeable because once you go to 3X retina, some blurriness in pixels here and there becomes very easily forgiven and very hard to notice. I personally don't have any ability to see individual pixels. And if I, like, you know, if I mess up when I'm drawing something in my app and I, like, fall on a half pixel or third of a pixel boundary or quarter pixel boundary on some line I'm drawing, I can't tell on a 3X phone. So maybe this won't be noticeable to most people. But if you're super picky about sharpness and visual quality, the mini might not work for you. Yeah, I think we should explore before we leave this topic, um, you know, before we leave the phones, what we're all intending to buy, if anything. Um, but, you know, I, I glossed over earlier, and I think, John, you had mentioned this. These do have flat sides, which I cannot be more excited about. I am super excited to have the, the spiritual, like you said, John, like iPhone 5-ish, uh, flat-sided uh, feel and look. iPhone 4-ish. I know everyone loves the 5, and they keep talking about the 5, but the 4 was the one that came out with the flat sides. Sorry, you're the right. The 4 you're right. is the best-looking phone. This is the love child between them because it's flat sides like the 4, but no ice cream sandwich because the 5 was just a rounded rectangle solid it didn't have a part that was sort of like raised on the back and front disagree the best part the best one so far was the five series i know you disagree <laughs> just you're wrong but anyway oh, like for, for reasons that we can't get back today like like one of the one of the main reasons it was so great is that it didn't have a glass back so not only was it more durable it was way lighter and one thing i am so excited about the mini personally we'll get to that you know once we get into what we're buying but what's interesting about the mini is like size and weight wise it is not just like the 6, 7, and 8. It's significantly smaller and lighter than them. It is not quite, but almost as small and light as the 5 series. And that's really exciting to me because, you know, I've wanted a light phone, a small and light phone, ever since last summer when I when I carried just my SE for a while, my first gen SE, and I, I realized like quite how heavy and big the 11 Pro and 10 and 10S are. And so I and I've wanted to go back for a while, but you know you couldn't get a good phone that was that size if you wanted like high end stuff. And what's great about this is that now you can, with that one exception of the screen scaling thing and the sizing of elements on screen, which we'll see how that plays out in practice. 
with that exception, you're not really giving up anything else. And that's awesome. Yeah, I'm I, I'm really, really excited about the flat sides. I really like the colors across all of the iPhones 12. Uh, I think that the five that are offered on the 12 and 12 mini are all really, really good. It's white, black, blue, and it's described as green, but it's kind of like a minty green and red, a uh, product red. Uh, I, the blue in particular, I love. Um, and I also like it, like it a lot, the Pacific Blue on the 12 Pro, which we'll get to in a minute. But I love that the colors are here on the 12 and 12 Mini. Um, and, I, and I know we spoke about this already, but I, I really want to reiterate, and we kind of talked about this on Fusion, the Relay crossover show. It is extremely cool to me that there are definitely choices to be made between each of these different kinds of phone. But for the most part, there aren't that many compromises. There are certainly some, but there's not that many. And I am really, really pleased to see Apple just let all of them rip at the same time, asterisk. Uh, and <laughs> so they're all just here together. And it's really, to, to some degree, I'm slightly oversimplifying, but to some degree, it's here is what you want. Or here, here is what you can, you know, how many slices of pizza do you want? Do you want a one slice of pizza, which is the mini? Do you want two slices of pizza, which is the 12? Do you want three, which is the, you know, the 12 Pro? Or do you want the entire pie, which is the 12 Pro Max? And I just think that's so great that there are so few compromises across the line. And I am really pleased that Apple was able to do this, especially in a year where I'm sure all of this was extremely, extremely difficult. And this also plays into their sort of, you know, economies of scale. Um, and we haven't even talked about this, but I'm about to now. Uh, this yeah, <laughs> iPhone 12 has the A14, and so does the Pro, and so does the Pro Max. Like there is no their their new line of phones, their entire range of the, of the new phones they introduced this year, all have the A14. And again, they don't tell us clock speeds, and they don't tell us RAM. Apparently, there is a RAM difference. Is there a clock speed difference? We don't know. Maybe we'll find out. But in general, it's easier for them to just say, "Look, we're just going to make a bunch of A14s." And we don't have to guess how many of the 12s versus 12 flows we're going to make. Just make a bunch of A14s. Then they're all going to be in all of our phones. And so it's really easy to recommend someone get the 12 as opposed to the 12 Pro. In fact, that's what most people should get because it has all the things. And yes, there are minor weaknesses that we'll get to that you may or may not care about. Most people probably don't, but the price difference is big. And you get, you know, it's a future-proof phone. It's got a big battery. It's got a good CPU. Um, and Apple, you know, so the last time we were talking about what does high speed mean? Oh, we wish it would mean max, but of course it didn't. Um, uh, <laughs> is it just going to be 5G? Yeah, it was just 5G. In fact, I expected them to talk way more about the A14, but they didn't. Um, the, the A14 had already been announced in the, in the iPad Air, and they really didn't go much farther into it this time. They didn't have a whole suite of benchmarks. They just had a couple of like, oh, it's the fastest SOC in the market, which is true. And it stomps all over the Android SOCs, which is true. Um but they really weren't interested in charts and graphs or anything like that. Um, but something I was thinking about with what they did say about the A14 in both presentations is they, Apple has done this for several years now. And I, I got to thinking because I've been looking at similar slides uh, in the game console world because we're in a new game console generation. When they show you the floor plan of the, of the chip, it's in Apple's pictures it's kind of like a virtualized line diagram and it shows a little square and they show you all the different things they i, mean, I think they maybe started doing this with like the m5 or i don't remember when they started doing it like different regions they want to show off here's our new neural engine right and it's this little rectangle on the chip and it's over here right so 
I'll, I'll put this in the chat room and I'll put these in the, uh, they probably won't be in the show notes. Mark will probably make them chapter art. But anyway, take <laughs> a look at, um, this is the Xbox Series X system on a chip. Because these days, game consoles also do system on a chips, which means it's CPU and GPU all on one chip. Because we have lots of transistors, and you know it's much more expensive to make them separate, and you can get lots of benefits of putting them together. So if you look at this Xbox uh, Series X system on a chip, with the labeled regions of this floor plan, you say, boy, uh, whoever made this cares a lot about GPU. Because most of the area of the chip is taken up with GPU. Um, now, in general, on the floor plan on a chip, area equals money. It's not linear <laughs> because it's trickier to make different kinds of logic. Certain kinds of more regular logic like memory or even maybe more regular things like GPU are easier to make without errors than the more intricate parts of CPUs. And But in general, you have a certain kind of size of a silicon wafer. And the smaller you can make the features, the more things you can fit on there, the more transistors, right? The bigger you make your chip, the more expensive it is. And once you have a given area the amount of area you dedicate on that chip to a particular function reflects how much value you put on it. So a game console using looks like more than half of its area for GPU makes sense, right? You look at the CPU cores and they're like practically the same size as the IO and memory interface, maybe even smaller, right? Those cute little CPUs, you think of them running the show. It's like, no, it's all about GPU, right? Because we can just, you can, the GPU can use all available area because you just add more execution units because there's always more pixels to be running through parallel in a thing, right? And so, with this in mind, with the idea that the floor plan of your chip expresses the sort of philosophy and values of the product it's going into, like what's important in a game console, it's GPU, let's consider the floor plan of the A14, which Apple has shown many times. Now, it's not a real floor plan as in like a, a view through a microscope with false colored little regions or whatever, but I'm assuming it is in the ballpark of reality, right? I don't think Apple's showing us their exact chip design but i i'm this entire section is predicated on the idea that apple's just not totally making it up right it is kind of suspicious that it breaks into what looks like four neat regions so if you're looking at it now they, they have highlighted these different areas of the chip like the chip is a square the system on a chip is a square and the upper left quadrant is apple's six core cpu and you can see little six regions you can see the four efficiency cores in the bottom and the two big power cores right <laughs> there's your six cores <laughs> Apparently, some part of the chip is taken up with a giant A14 and an Apple logo. I'm pretty sure that's not accurate. <laughs> um, right? Maybe that's a bunch of I.O. stuff hidden behind there, right? So one quarter of the chip is for the CPU. Six cores of the CPU, that's one quarter of the chip, more or less. One quarter of the chip, and this is a phone chip, is for the GPU, a four-core GPU, right? So we've used up half of the area so far in CPU and GPU. Half of the chip is left. What is in that other half of the chip? If we just done, we've used half of the area for CPU and GPU, what else could it be? One quarter of the chip is the neural engine in the A14. It's the same size as the GPU core and probably bigger than the CPU core. Just the neural engine, right? That lets you know, like, you know, when Apple's dedicating one quarter of it's extremely expensive, going to make a million of these, stick them to every single phone, it lets you know what Apple values. And in practice, what is it that makes the phone a good phone? All that stuff they talk about with the, the camera that we're going to you know discuss later, all the stuff that they've done, the face ID, the recognition, all that stuff. Neural engine. It's bigger than the CPU. It's probably the same size as the GPU. And then finally, the final quarter of the chip, which they didn't label all of, half of the final quarter of the chip is image signal processor, which is different than the neural engine. So that's just like 
for the phone to do for the camera to do its magic and also other image processing stuff. And I'm assuming IO is the is the remainder of the area there. But this division of labor is very different than the division of labor on general purpose personal computers from the past couple of decades. It's different than game consoles. In fact, it may be unique for phones, and it may, it may be unique to Apple's phones to dedicate an entire quarter of your system on a chip to the neural engine shows how important Apple thinks that thing is to the functionality of the phone. And honestly, I think they're right. Like, if you look at what the phone does and how it does it and how it's able to do it, dedicating, you know, nearly half your chip to neural engine plus image signal processor reflects the fact that, yeah, we call it a phone, but most people use it as a very fancy camera. And then, oh, by the way, you've got a CPU so you can do the internet stuff. And then there's the GPU so you can play some games on your phone, <laughs> right? It's it's really amazing to think about it. And like, if, if, if these current trends continue, I do wonder if, you know, five phones from now, if we look at the floor plan and it will look like the Xbox system on a chip floor plan, only instead of GPU being the giant area, it's just like neural engine. And then in the corner, it's like CPU, GPU. <laughs> it's just it's all it's, it's like right out of a terminator movie it's all neural engine and some ancillary other functions to to do io and control the screen pretty fascinating but anyway i'm i'm excited that this chip i think i'm more excited about the uh, the a14 than most people are mostly because it's going to be the foundation of the mac chips and you can imagine looking at this floor plan and say okay but what if i told you you could have twice as much area for cpu and four times as much area for gpu then maybe we can shrink that neural engine back down to its proper it's proper proportion and dedicate <laughs> way more transistors to cpu and gpu which i think is more important on a say desktop computer than it is on a phone um, but yeah this is this is the chip they all get and it, i think it's looking pretty good uh if you're disappointed by only a high single digit percent performance increase then uh take a look at intel's line and you'll feel a lot better All right, so let's talk about iPhone 12 Pro. Uh, this was mostly bliss for me and then just a little bit of utter, utter despair. So the 12 Pro is much like the 11 Pro. It has the three-camera system, which has been improved. Um, it has the standard wide lens. It has uh, a, I believe it's a larger aperture uh, ultra-wide. Is that right? Did I get that right? Uh, yeah, I think, the, yeah, it's, I, I hate these terms. Can we just say the 0.5x camera, the 1x camera, and the 2x camera? That's fair. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so so the the point the 0.5x camera got better. They didn't I don't think they were very clear on how it got better, but the camera people at uh, places like Halide uh, seem to think that it is at least significantly sharper. So that's nice. Um the the 1x camera on the non-max pro has a uh, faster lens that lets in more light, uh, f1.6 and up, up from f1.8, so that's good. Um, so that's it, it'll be better in low light just for that reason alone. Um, the 2x camera on the regular Pro seems to be, I think, unchanged, or at least not significantly changed. The Max has two other changes. The Max has the, uh, the 1x camera, in addition to having that faster lens also has a larger sensor and that allows it to capture more light which is better for low light pictures for lots of reasons and not just a little bit bigger sensor it's yeah 47 percent bigger sensor it's it's 
much bigger. <laughs> yeah, so a much bigger 1X camera sensor. The 1X camera also has a uh, better version of image stabilization. It shifts the sensor around instead of shifting one of the lens elements around, uh, which lets it basically respond faster and, and everything. So it's better stabilization, bigger sensor. All that adds up to way better low-light performance. And then the 2X camera on the Max is now a 2.5X, and it has an actual, it actually has a less bright lens. It goes from f2.0 to f2.2. So that, I think, is going to be a mixed blessing in practice. Um, one of the problems that the 2X cameras have always had, ever since the very first one in, uh, what was it, the was it the 6S Max or Plus? Oh, I thought it was the 7, but I'm not confident I'm right about that. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, whenever the 2X camera is batted, there's always been uh, significantly worse optical quality usually with usually being in, a, in having a uh, tighter aperture lens than the 1x camera and the result of this has been usually pretty obvious in in use that the pictures that you take with a 2x camera usually have worse noise worse color worse contrast like they're, they're usually just not as nice looking um, especially in low light and it's to the point where in low light the system knows this and so in low light, oftentimes, even if you have the 2x selected as your focal length in the camera app, oftentimes the iOS image processor will actually use the 1x camera and just crop in in the middle to, because it knows that, in, that below a certain light level, that's actually going to be better results for you than actually using the 2x camera because it has such worse um, light performance. And so what they're, what they're doing here with the Max by scooting it a little bit further in, it's now a 2.5x zoom, but because it has that less bright lens from 2.2 to 2, or from 2.0 to 2.2, I think it might exacerbate that problem of your 2x photos not looking very good. And this is actually part of the reason why, like in practice, I don't use my 2x camera very much. Whenever I want to capture something really great, that's a little far away, I'll try to just get closer to it. <laughs> and I'll try to use the 1X camera anyway because the 1X pictures always look better. And I think this is probably going to make this a, an even bigger difference because not only did they make the, two, the 2X camera worse, but then they made the 1X camera so much better <laughs> on the Max but with the new sensor and everything. So I think it's actually going to be a, a pretty substantial difference in quality between those two cameras and so in practice i bet max owners won't actually use that 2.5x camera very often it's interesting to hear you say this and you're not the only person who said oh i never really use the 2x i feel like i use my 2x quite a bit because i'm trying to catch like a small child running away or something like that which arguably means i should be on the 1x but my point is just that i i really really, and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, I really like the idea of the 12 Mini. And not having held one, of course, it just seems like that would be such an unbelievably great set of compromises. But I really don't want to lose out on the three-camera system. And I think I feel more strongly that I do not want to lose out on the three-camera system than I do that I want a smaller phone. Because really, I want both. And in a perfect world... I, re I would have a 12 mini that has all three cameras. And if the 12 mini did have all three camera lenses, I don't think I would be waffling at all. I think that's absolutely what I would get. But because I don't want to give up the telephoto, and, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I don't use it as much as I think I do, but I feel like I do. And so 
because of that, I think I'm, my, what I plan to buy is a uh, 12 Pro. Now, on the flip side of that, however, I really do want the best camera I can get on my iPhone, and I am not looking forward to the smugness of everyone, particularly Mr. Mike Hurley, when he gets his uh, 12 Pro Max and the 1X photos are just phenomenal, particularly in low-light situations. I'm going to be super jealous. Well, I don't know if you're going to have to worry about too much smugness because, like, we've had many years where the big phone has had the better camera, and it's been better, but it's not, it's, it's not, you know, so much better that you should have this terrible feeling of FOMO. Like, this is, yet to the 2X lens issue, like, this is something we didn't talk about too much when we were talking about uh, the pros and cons of having a big camera. Reach is one is the next frontier for phone cameras. Like, there's a bunch of phone cameras out that have actual optical zoom because they do, like, a periscope thing where, like, there's, there's lens elements that move relative to each other, but they move inside the camera body. They don't stick out of it, right? Or inside the phone body, they don't stick out of it, right? The reason we have all these stupid cameras in the back is because none of them are zoom lenses. They are all fixed focal length, and it is what it is. And they, 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 we use smarts to switch between them. There was all the rumors about, oh, the 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 big new iPhone is going to have a five x optical zoom range. It's like, yeah, from the widest lens to the most <laughs> zoomed in, right. that's a five x range, zero point five to two point five, right. <laughs> But it's in three big steps. <laughs> There's an, and if you want to do in between, it's all computer smarts, right? And reach is kind of, I'm not going to say it's the last frontier, but it is the, the next logical step that phone cameras have to have. Because back when we were in normal times, when you're in the audience of your kid's assembly and they're all up there singing their little song and their chorus or playing their instrument, and you're in row 17 and you want a picture of a kid, guess what? You're not getting one with your phone. Because it's just going to look like a bunch of blurred kids and you just want your kid. And you're not even going to be able to identify your kid in the dimly lit, uh, you know, cafetorium or assembly area or wherever <laughs> they are. Similarly, if you're watching a soccer game and your kid's out there running for and they're going to score a goal and you're going to try to get, whether it's a video or a photo of your kid, it's going to look like a speck in the distance because of where you're sitting and they're on the opposite <laughs> side of the field. So you just do not have reach. And th- we've been trying to get reach by adding more and more cameras to the back of our phones. And I feel like the 2.5X on this is to try to give you just that little bit more reach. And in, you know, in adequate lighting scenarios where you're in bright sunlight, you don't care about like, oh, it's not as fast. It doesn't matter. Like you're in bright sunlight, you want the reach. In situations where you're in a dimly lit place, then it's exactly the same trade-off Marco was talking about. It's probably going to use the 1X camera because that's what's important in that scenario. But 2.5X is not a lot of reach. I know when they say 5X optical zoom, that's from the super wide one to this, right? You're not going to be snagging a shot of your you know, kid kicking the, the winning goal from the opposite side of the field. You're going to get a picture of the entire team. Somewhere in there is your kid kicking, but you're not going to get your kid kicking. And yes, you could just run to get closer, but sometimes you can't get any closer. Again, if you're in the big assembly at school, you got the seat that you got. And maybe you could run it on the side of the field, but if it's a big soccer field you're and they're in the middle of the field and you're on the sideline, there's no getting around that distance. So we're still working on that in the phone world. I, I, I feel like it's, I don't know if it's inevitable because I've never used one of these telescoping optical ones in the, like the Android world, right? But if that is at all viable, eventually, probably on the big phone first, Apple is going to have to eat that internal space cost and say, Maybe maybe they've already done it. If you took all three of these lenses and then replaced them with 
one fixed focal length, really good lens, and then one internal periscope optical zoom lens, would that take up more or less room than the current giant cluster of things? I'm not sure, but I, you know, it, I don't begrudge the big phone to have a better camera because it's just got more room in there for stuff. How much more room does the sensor shift take? How much more room does the little, sen- the little thing take? Probably not that much more, but hey, the phone that has more room is that one and it's bigger and it's more expensive. By all means, differentiate it. But, and that's that, like the 2.5X, I feel like is them saying. And also, if you just want a little bit more reach, the big phone will give you that too. But the next step we need to move to is not just a little bit more reach, but like, can I take a picture of my kid playing their instrument up on stage in the school assembly or or do I have to get the entire group and that's that is going to be a big upgrade we we can't really get there with like megapixel expansion and cropping like it's, I think we just have to get there with optics I mean this again I say this based on I've never actually used one of those periscope zoom phones so maybe they're terrible maybe the technology simply cannot solve this problem for us for reasons that I don't yet know but it's a problem that needs to be solved. So until and unless we get to the point where I think I've talked about a couple of years back on the show where the entire back of your phone is a gigantic sensor. Forget about full frame. It's the whole back of your phone. Incredible <laughs> light gathering ability. It's a light field camera and we can crop down and refocus until we get there. We're going to have to have some kind of zoom situation where we can actually get closer to subjects that are far away and capture them with some reasonable amount of light. It's a hard problem to solve in a phone, but... I feel like that's where we have to go. In the meantime, the trade-offs between the Max and the Pro, like I feel what you're saying, Casey, about needing the telephoto, but I also totally feel what Marco is saying and that that 2X camera, it's it's never as good. Like I do not, I don't want to use it. I will always use my feet if I can. And when I can't use my feet, I feel like I can't use my phone. So I don't know. You, you, You can make your choice based on not having that third camera. I think if you really love the small size or you just want to save a bunch of money, it kind of like saves you from being tempted to use this the worst 2x camera right <laughs> and making your phone worse and basically just saying look if i can't if i can't zoom with my feet if i can't get closer to this subject just this is not a phone photo that i can take and then you'll just pull out your big camera that you bought because you followed my advice and <laughs> put on a nice long long lens and snag that awesome action shot of your kid kicking the winning goal yeah, because like I, I also, whenever I, you know, I've had a 2X lens now, you know, for, what, three phones? You know, I never got the, the giant phones, but ever since they put it on the 10 forward, I've had it. And I do use it sometimes, but usually, again, like, you know, usually I'm I'm pushed away from it for the quality loss, but also, like, when I do need more reach, it's never enough. <laughs> like what you're saying, John. Like that is true. That is true. I I do frequently want more reach from my phone, and I hit two X, and I'm like, oh, that's it. <laughs> well, the, the main the main thing I use two X for is to crop out more of the background when I'm taking photos of my house, so people can't see what a mess it is. Like it's not it's not to get closer to the subject. It's like I want a cute picture of my dog, but I don't want all the my daughter's crap that she left in the floor in the shot. So two X, and now I've cropped it to closer to just the dog. But that's that's basically it. So the uh, 12 Pros also add LiDAR for the first time on an Apple phone. Um, When this was demonstrated on the iPads, and I do not have an iPad with LiDAR. I have a 2018 iPad Pro. Uh, When this was demonstrated on the iPads, it was one of those like, oh, cool sort of things for me. Um, but what one of the things that they said with regard to the phone was that, oh, this will help with autofocus, which I did think was cool. And I don't know if we'll see, I don't know if we'll be able to tell one way or the other, but 
if we do see that, you know, autofocus is, is faster and or better, I, I can't say that I typically have a problem with that on my phone, but more is better. So that sounds good to me. Um, and then additionally, the pros, I believe it's only the pros get pro raw, which is a whole new situation. And I think that Marco, you're probably best off of the three of us to describe what this means. I actually don't know that much about it yet. You are right. It is a pro-exclusive feature, even though it appears to be only a software difference. Like, it appears that this is not due to whatever hardware differences they have. It might be related to the RAM difference, but probably not. It's probably just software differentiation. Um, But anyway, the idea here is um, there's been a raw API access uh, to the to the cameras for a while now, for at least a few years uh, worth of, worth of hardware, there's been like raw access for apps to use, and apps like Halide and other like advanced camera apps do use it to to great effect. Um, but this is this is the first time Apple is actually like offering a raw capture from it. Well, you, you'll be able to go into like the camera app preferences from the way I understand this, and just like and turn on some checkbox that like saves your pictures as this new Pro Raw format. And then you can import those into, you know, Lightroom or whatever, and and do whatever you want with them, um, and you know, other uh, and apps will be able to access that as well. And that is, it's interesting it for high end uses. If you're trying to use, and this is true of any raw capture for the iPhone, but the, if you're trying to use the camera hardware but have more control over some of the effects it bakes into the pictures under normal circumstances, like things like noise reduction, which is a, a big one, um, and other stuff like just white balance and and various things like that, various color balances, um, dynamic range, stuff like that. A lot of that gets stripped away when you save it as a JPEG or, or, a, or a HEIF because it has to like bake in a certain degree of all those things to make the image look right. Um, raw, in, in all forms, the idea is you just save whatever the sensor data was and you let apps after the fact make adjustments that are oftentimes able to be done losslessly things like white balance like you're not baking that into the file you're just interpreting the camera date the raw data differently um, so you're, you're able to make a lot of adjustments in the lossless domain or do things in with different degrees of things like smoothing and stuff like that than what they might do automatically to be able to achieve editing photos and having more control over the way your photos are 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 edited by the system without a lot of quality loss or being able to like pull more out of them than what the built-in processing of the phone would have done on its own with your own like custom adjustments of things so it's very nice if you're a pro photographer uh to to have raw i i always shoot raw whenever i'm using a big camera even though that's very rare these days as we talked about last week but i always shoot raw because i love the ability to adjust things uh losslessly afterwards uh, the downside is usually that the files are way bigger and way slower to work with with whatever software you're using, um, and that's probably going to be the case here. So this is the kind of thing that I would not recommend most people leave on. If you if you get a pro, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. And it's something that, frankly, I don't think I would use because as much as I used to be super into all this you know camera nerdery stuff, and I used to think I would edit my pictures a lot. I just don't do it anymore. And anything that would add to my burden of taking pictures or of having some kind of workflow to do afterwards, I know would not be good for me. And so I'm actually not going to use this feature as far as I can tell right now. But for people who are 
super camera enthusiasts and who who are already the kind of people who today are using apps like Halide or other third-party apps to like really process your pictures and and do a lot of post-processing and editing on them. This could be really great for those people. I'm just not one of them. Yeah. I have a lot of questions about this ProRAW stuff. Like one of the big selling points is, of it is kind of, as you said, like on, in phone camera, in all cameras, obviously the raw sensor data is pretty garbagey and then it gets processed and you get a photo out of it. But that nowhere is that more true than camera phones because they're, the, you know, the sensors are so small, the lenses are so tiny, everything is so noisy. Uh, and the iPhone in particular, its prowess is that computational photography, that the neural engine, its GPU, the image signal processor, all that stuff is, you know, three quarters of the chip is working to take that ridiculous sensor data that looks like how could you ever get a useful picture out of this and work their magic to give you a really, really good picture. Um, but of course, if you go to raw of just like brain dead raw, it's like, well, but what about all the stuff the phone was going to do for me? The whole, the whole reason I bought this iPhone is it does all this stuff, this computational photography. And you're just giving me the sensor data. This is no good to me. I can't process it manually like the phone does because it does a bunch of stuff and I don't know about, right? So Pro Raw is like, okay, well, we know you want the benefits of Raw as in we won't bake in these changes. We won't actually change the colors of the pixels of your images. We'll have the raw sensor data and then we'll just add lossless modifications. Like many image processing programs have done this over the years, right? where if you change your mind about that adjustment, you can readjust it. Think of it as like a layer cake. You've got the raw sensor data at the bottom, and on top of it, you've got adjustment layers, like in Photoshop, right? And you can change your mind about the adjustment layers and enable and disable them and so on and so forth. So what we want out of this Pro Raw is, well, what I would want is phone, do all the awesome stuff you normally do, but do it all in essentially Photoshop adjustment layers on top of this image. So give me the raw sensor data and then give me every single adjustment you would do. Now, I don't know if Apple's Pro Raw does that. Think of things like deep fusion, HDR, taking pictures with multiple lenses and combining them. All of that stuff, is all of that put in sort of an adjustment layer or is it only sensor data plus denoising, white balance, you know, curves? Like, all, is it just the straightforward things or is there a layer for deep fusion? Is there a layer for portrait mode? Is there a layer for HDR where they show me the three, the three different exposures they took, each as raws, you know what I mean? That is an open question to me that I don't know how deep down that rabbit hole they go because I think as soon as you start giving up any of the cool things the phone does for you, it has a high potential to make your photos look worse because the phone is doing so much work and that's why you pay the big bucks and that's why that's half the reason this system on a chip in there does all these things is to make your photos look better and i don't want it to not do that i would want it to do that and then on top of that give me a little bit more adjustability later at the expense of massively larger you know file sizes or something so i'm i'm dubious about it being worthwhile except in very specific circumstances to use the ProRAW, not just because of the massive file size, but also because I wonder how much I'm giving up, right? If I'm not giving up anything, then great, then file size is the only thing you have to worry about. But I, I have to think you're giving up something, right? You're giving, maybe even if it's just you're giving up the intelligent choice to use HDR, right? Or you're giving up the deep fusion or like whatever one of those things you're giving, I don't want to give up any of them because the phone needs all of them to make good photos right so it's cool and I, I like the idea behind it i really hope it is as cool as i think but i suspect that it is more limited at least in this first iteration yeah we'll see 
Um, moving on, one of the things that I had feared in the rumors leading up to the event, um, obviously, from what I gather, everything leaked like the morning of, and I didn't pay attention to it because I wanted to be surprised. But the rumors had said, you know, these these phones are going to get a little bigger. And I was really, really, I mean, scared is dramatic, but for lack of a better word, scared about that, because I really feel like my 11 Pro is as big as I would ever want my phone to be. I am just not in on the max slash plus club. It's not for me. And obviously, again, I haven't held any of these new ones yet, but I did on the Apple store app, the compare your phone thing, where you can compare the one that's in your hand to one of the other ones. And I was looking at this and between the 12 pro and my 11 pro, the differences look to be really basically negligible. I mean, there are some differences for sure in, you know, every dimension is a little bit different and a little bit bigger with the exception of depth. But nevertheless, these differences are like a couple of millimeters in any given direction. So I would suspect I'll probably be able to notice, but I would also suspect that much like the notch, it will disappear to me within the span of a week or two. And I'm really relieved by that because I was really genuinely worried that this was just going to feel like a monster in my hand. And maybe it will, but um, I'm, I'm not expecting it to. And I'm really, really excited about that. And it seems like the decreased bezel size and the flattened sides are really going to make a difference. And have I mentioned how excited I am about flat sides? Because I'm yeah. excited. Uh, here, here are the actual numbers, by the way, because I was worried about exactly the same thing. 2.7 millimeters wider, which you will be able to notice. Basically, if you put... You're, if you took all the cases off and you put your current 11 Pro and just sat it on top of the table on top of a 12 Pro, you'd see the 12 Pro sticking out from both the left and the right side for sure. Not by a lot, but you'd be able to see it, right? And you'd be able to feel it. Height, 0.1 millimeter. You're not going to notice that. Oh, you De- got your height and width confused. The height is 144 to 146.7. Oh, did I reverse it? Yes. And then the width is, just as you described for height, 0.1 millimeter. All right. Anyway, but yeah, the 2.7 dimension you're going to notice. Apparently, that's height and not width. You're going to notice that, and you're going to feel it. The width, 0.1, you probably won't notice. The depth, 0.7, thinner, you probably won't notice. The weight, 1 gram, you definitely won't notice, right? So I'm relieved, too, because despite the fact that I will, you know, if you stack them on top of each other and feel it, you'll notice it's close enough that I'm just going to forget about it, right? Because once you get rid of the other phone and you're just using this phone, it's going to feel like the same size. Now, the flat sides, I... I know everyone likes them because there's potential that it makes it easier to grip without the case. We Again, we don't know how slippery these are yet because we haven't held them. It kind of depends on what the glass feels like and what, you know, it's, there's lots of factors that go on here. But I do feel like kind of like the, the MacBook Air's wedge shape and the old iBooks kind of rounded things that curves on the current line of phones are slimming. I feel like the curves are slimming, <laughs> right? Because it makes you think that the actual width is the width when the curve is done and that is pulled in. You know what I mean? So I don't know if even though this phone is more or less the same size, if it's not going to feel a little bit chunkier, right? Does that make sense? Like not, it does. it's, it's nice. not going to be thicker. Like it's literally going to be thinner, right? And it's going to be, but will it feel, will it feel bulkier? On the other hand, will it feel so good that you don't need a case? In which case, it will feel much skinnier because you don't have a case around it. So these are these are questions that can only be asked by holding, holding it in our hands, and we do not have these phones in our hands, nor probably will we, because I assume we're all just going to order them as soon as we can and then just cross our fingers. But many questions remain about the squared-off sides. Um, but at least the question of the size, at least dimensionally, is relief for me and Casey anyway. 
Very much so. Uh, have I mentioned that the 12 Pro also gets excellent 5G service from Verizon? <laughs> it's, it's never going to stop being funny. Nope. nope Speaking of 5G, I do wonder about that. Oh, I did I did actually think, because I haven't really, you know, I don't, who cares about 5G, right? But then I thought, you know what? I'm one of those people who has crappy signal. And even though 5G is not supposed to bring any sort of signal, I mean, you know, it's better at shorter ranges, I'm thinking, but you know, for all I know, maybe someone put up a bunch of 5G things in, in sort of inconspicuous places that are actually near me, and maybe actually will have better signal. I mean, this is all fantasizing. Maybe actually will have better 5G signal mass. I just don't know it yet because I don't have any 5G devices. So even though I get, you know, one or two bars on LTE, if I'm lucky, maybe I'll get better in 5G. So we'll see. Uh, are there any other major differences in the 12 Pro that we haven't discussed? I think we basically covered uh, There's the video recording. So they do... Uh, does HDR video recording, which people, some people have been saying like, oh, who? nobody cares about that. HDR is the most important change in video since high definition. It is not a thing that nobody notices or cares about, especially when taking videos in the real world where the dynamic range of the bright sun and shadow is tremendously bigger than any of our devices can catch, right? So any increase in dynamic range from SDR, you know, the, you know, the non-HDR or whatever, is good and people will notice. No, and people don't know or care what Dolby Vision is and they don't know or care that, oh, isn't it amazing how you can adjust the video and the Dolby Vision metadata will update and you can do it all on your phone. Who cares? But they will notice that HDR video is better than non-HDR video, especially if the actual scene has higher dynamic range than current phones can capture. So I think this is actually an important picture. When you take a scenic video of a sunset on your vacation, it will look better in ways that every single person can notice in HDR. If the screen can display it, because it's got whatever the 1200 nits uh, HDR thing, if you have a television with good HDR support, it will look better there. The problem that comes in with like, oh, well, what when I shared this with somebody over the internet? Well, you know, Instagram doesn't know anything about HDR, I don't think. And, you know, so there's, there's a gap there. But I feel like for your personal enjoyment on your actual phone and your iPad and your television, assuming they all support HDR, recording video in particular in HDR is a very important feature. And I'm glad to see it happen on the phone. The fact that it's Dolby Vision and yada, yada, it's cool and everything like that. But I just I just feel like HDR video recording plus a screen that can show it in a more reasonable way, like 1200 nits, I think is reasonable HDR is an important advancement for Apple's phones. Yeah, that's a good point. And yes, I'm going to say more important than 120 frames per second, which we haven't mentioned and I don't think either one of us really care that much about. It should come eventually, but I want 0% of my battery life spent on 120 hertz on my phone. I'm sorry, <laughs> Agreed. right? Agreed. It is better. We will, we should get it eventually. We will get it eventually, I hope, but I want to give up basically nothing for it. Yeah, I actually yeah. completely agree with you. I have it on my iPad, and I, I'm sure if you twisted my arm, I could tell the difference between the two, but I don't feel like I noticed it very often, except perhaps when I'm using the pencil on the iPad. Um, I don't think this is something I long for. I know a friend of the show, Mike Hurley, is not happy about this, but I, I'm right there with you, John. I do not want to trade pretty much anything in favor of increased refresh rate. I mean, and that said, like, if they just give it with this toggle switch and you can turn it on if you want and turn it off if you don't, then that solves the problem. I, 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 the rumors were that we missed 120 hertz just because of, like, screen hardware difficulties related to COVID or whatever. Like, it's coming. We'll get it eventually. It's disappointing that it's not here this year. I understand that. But for me personally, I'm not interested in trading anything for it. So if they if they just put in a switch and let me do 
you know, 60 hertz max, a variable refresh rate, blah, blah, blah. I'll be very excited next year when the phones have that, but I'm personally not disappointed that the current phones have it. I'm much more excited about HDR video recording than I am disappointed about 120 hertz. Yeah, see, and I, I love 120 hertz on the iPad line. It, it's, it's wonderful there. Then when I go to my iPhone, I don't miss it. Like, I love it when I'm using it. But then when I don't have it, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't notice its absence, you know. I will say the the uh, HDR video thing, John, is significant. Um, the it's and it's a little hard to tell whether they have improved the regular video capture or not. Um, I remember back when I think it was the 10s first added um, HDR video interpolation, where it would it would basically shoot video at 60 frames a second, but if you had it set to 30 frames a second saving it would use that to basically do automatic exposure bracketing where it would uh, every frame it would shoot like a high exposure one and a low exposure one and then merge them together in real time to give you the um, higher definition video uh, recording than what the sensor could natively capture. And at some point, I think in the 11, they made that available also at 60 frames a second. Now, if you do, if you go to the comparison uh, page, the, the text spec comparison page, they call that extended dynamic range for video, and it's up to 60 frames a second on all these models, 11, 12, and 12 Pro. HDR, though, with Dolby Vision, which is the new thing, on the 12 Pro, that goes up to 60 frames a second. On the 12 Mini and 12 Regular, it only goes up to 30 frames a second. Mm. So that, that is one difference. That If you want HDR video recording, the 12 and Mini can only do 30 frames a second, and the Pros can do 60. This, again, seems like it's probably software differentiation only. I, I don't think, be, again, besides the possible use of RAM, I don't think there'd be any hardware reason why this has to be this way. Um, but again, this is yet another thing where, like, they want people who are using the iPhone as a pro camera, like a really pro camera, they want them buying the iPhone Pros. And, you know, I, I don't blame them. That makes sense. Even though this is probably going to screw me this year, uh, because I think I am probably going to go mini. Oh, don't tell me this because yeah. I want you to go pro. So if you, so this way, if you love the mini, I don't want to know. I just don't want to know. I, I I'm uh, not entirely sure I'm going to love the mini, to be honest. Like, if I, so just I do plan to do it. Like my current plan, as we stand today, is to get the mini. But I I am a little unsure how I'm going to feel about the size. I, I'm a little concerned about adjusting to the narrower phone for keyboard accuracy. And I know that's just usually just like a temporary adjustment period. Um, and I'm a little concerned about just like having everything be so tiny on screen uh, and whether that will actually be comfortable in use or not. I'm not really concerned about losing the 2X camera. That I, I think I'll be fine with. I'm not happy about this video limitation because I would have loved to shoot everything in HDR. But again, the regular like auto exposure bracketing dynamic range thing they've been doing for the last few phones, that is great for me. So I don't know that I necessarily need, like, will the HDR Dolby Vision thing, is that actually capturing more dynamic range or is it just saving it with more precision? You know, they're talking about like the, the 10 bit HDR, like that's something I don't need. I don't, I don't need the precision. I'm not, I'm not taking these into final cut and editing them and making a professional thing. I'm just watching them on my phone. And so if the actual dynamic range is not different at all or only minimally different between these two modes, then I'm not missing anything because I would never turn on the Dolby Vision thing 
because I don't, I'm not a video editor. Like I don't, I don't need that. Um, but if it is, if I'm going to be missing out on lots of dynamic range by not using that, I, I will kind of regret that. No, you, you do want the Dolby Vision thing on it. It's nothing to do with whether you're going to be a video editor or whatever. It's, it's more metadata about the range of values in the scene that changes over time. Right, so you want that even if you just never adjust it because it helps give you a, a better, better moving picture over a period of time with different areas having dynamic, you know, brighter parts and darker parts and all that stuff. So you you do want that, and I'm I'm I have the same question about why is there a half of why does it do half the frame rate in the quote unquote lesser things? Like I feel like this is the downside of the uniformity of the hardware is that Apple is does have to come up with some reason why you're going to be charged a couple hundred bucks more for the pro and yeah it's got one extra camera on the back but it's like is that two hundred dollar difference and so there i feel like they're potentially differentiating with software which feels bad it feels bad to know that you have a phone that could do a thing and people get all upset about it but it feels really good for them all to have the a14 and for them all to have all the good screen you know what i mean (laughs) so like the only alternative would be compress apple's line price wise and have the difference in price between the the lowest end you know the 12 and the 12 pro be much smaller than it is either by making the 12 more expensive or making the 12 pro less expensive and both of those things are probably worse for apple's sales revenue profit blah 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 so i kind of understand what they're doing oh i guess stainless steel and if we didn't mention that the pro has stainless steel instead of aluminum which may not even be an upgrade if it's heavier i don't even know like i didn't look at the weight differences but like this is the the narrowest gap i think ever between the quote-unquote cheap phone and the top of the line that there has ever been in terms of things that you can explain to regular people and i think it's good that that's true but the the areas where they chose to differentiate them being software only just really doesn't feel good to tech nerds regular people don't need to know like They'll just accept, oh, it does half frame rate. Well, it's not the pro one. They won't get to, yeah, but why? Why does it do half the frame rate? It's got the same system on a chip, like at, presumably at the same clock speed. RAM's not an issue. Like what's, I don't understand it. I don't I don't understand it either. Maybe we'll, we'll discover what the answer is, but it could just be plain old differentiation. And that's kind of a shame. That, that gets us, we didn't talk about this with the mini, but right. The mini, the, the, the reason marco has any angst whatsoever about the or most of our marco's angst about the mini is the fact that it's not the phone that the mini disciples really want which is just as good as the high-end phone but smaller and apple just stubbornly refuses to make that phone for reasons that make some kind of sense because you know smaller and it's it's the size-based pricing of like mac software sells more because mac screens are bigger like well it's smaller shouldn't it cost less you know so like if if they made one that was the 12 Pro Mini, uh, that would make this contingent of people a lot happier. It's got all the cameras on it. It's got all the things. There's no limitations, yada, yada. It's still Marco would be worried about the screen being smaller and the keyboard being weird. But other than that, it's a no compromises Mini. This is a compromises Mini. It's the Mini 12. It's not the Pro Mini 12, right? So <laughs> should be glad you got something that was Mini, but that's that's the problem. If you want a smaller size, there is no option for there, there is no m2 competition there's just a plain old, <laughs> there's just a plain old two series and no sorry we don't make a fast version of that car yeah and, and 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 you know to whatever degree that you know a lot of these limitations on the smaller products are physics you know like they just can't fit as much in them and, and that's i i understand that completely it, it does kind of hurt though 
when that's not the reason. Like when the reason is just segmentation and price, it's like, yeah, you know what? Apple has always made, you know, smaller equals low end, bigger equals high end. And people who want high end stuff in a small product usually have no option. And I really, as much as I want to complain about that in this case, the differences between the mini and the pro max are so relatively few and many of them relatively unimportant to to most people that as much as I want to complain that the mini doesn't have all the best features available in some kind of like pro mini, I think it's still going to be so damn close in in day-to-day use, like in in feature parity and everything that I I don't think it really matters here for for most people most of the time. You know, it, it hurts when people like me and Casey want the best stuff, but we also want small phones. Like Mm -hmm. it does hurt that we can't get the best stuff at any price in a small phone. But I bet day to day, we won't even know Like in the same way that like the vast majority of days I don't use my two X camera. So when I lose the two X camera by making this move, I I'm probably going to regret it. Like maybe once a month when I'll want to hit that two X button and realize, Oh, I'm just getting digital zoom. Now this is crappy. Um, but I, it's, you know, <laughs> if even that often, like it might even be less than that once I remember how crappy the 2X cameras always are. <laughs> yeah, Apple's been burned a couple of times. I wonder if this is sort of, you know, institutional DNA of making the small expensive product. The G4 Cube was the small expensive product, didn't do too well. The trash can Mac Pro, the small, <laughs> this is like basically the Mac Pro Mini didn't do too well. There may be <laughs> other examples out there. Like the it MacBook. Just, yeah, the 12-inch MacBook. Uh, that wasn't really a pro that was a compromised slow machine it had wasn't trying to take it had like mm, semi-pro features i I don't i that's not an example of what i was talking about i was thinking of like like no compromises but small size like the only thing you compromise is on size but it's got to be as fast as the big ones so that you know the trash can mac pro or the g4 cube even though they weren't exactly as fast but anyway i I, for the for the 12 mini i think that's the right choice like in general i feel like most people are going to buy the non-pro phones just because they're cheaper. And so if you're going to have any kind of size differentiation, put it in the phones that most people buy. And then let the weird pro people buy the pro things and be excited by their extra camera and their stainless steel. <laughs> All right. So a couple of grab bag things. And then I'd like to discuss what John and I plan to do. Um, we didn't mention that the 64 gig phones are gone. So it's starting at 128 gigs, which is excellent. So we have 128, uh, 256, and 512. Uh, that's only for the Pro. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that right? Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. The, the 12 and Mini are 64, 128, 256. The oh, Pro is mistake. 128, 256, 512. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, you know, Apple doing anything with storage is good, and doubling it for the quote-unquote same price, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, <laughs> Asterisk. Is, yeah, helps <laughs> helps a little bit there. Yeah. Right. And so speaking of pricing, uh, Apple saving the environment again and passing the savings on to Verizon with their 5G <laughs> service. Uh, no, they are they are saving the environment um, the, insofar as they are not including the little brick in the iPhone box anymore. They're also not including headphones in the box anymore. I, I don't think I have any particular problem with this. I, I am... I find it ever so slightly gross that they're painting it as exclusively environmental when clearly it's helping um, it's helping their bottom line. But, I mean, whatever, I'll roll with it. Uh, also, interestingly, it's a USB-C uh, to lightning cable in the box, not a USB, whatever the traditional one a. is, to lightning. Thank you, to lightning, which in and of itself I think is an improvement uh, for most people. 
until I realized after a while that, wait, all of these 80 gazillion uh, bricks, wall warts, whatever you want to call them that everyone has, those are all USB-A. And granted, they all came with lightning cables and so on and so forth. But you're, you're telling us that we all have a bazillion of these bricks, and yet you're giving us a cable that doesn't work with any yeah, of those bricks. But we don't want to keep shipping A cables. Like they need to be, they need to be the change they want to see in the world, which is USB-C everywhere. So yeah, ship the cable. The weird thing about it, though, is if you walk into a, an Apple store or order online or whatever, and you just get an iPhone and it's your first Apple product, you can't charge it unless you already have something. In, like, like the USB-C is like, oh, well, I'll just plug it into your Mac. It's like, what Mac? I don't have a Mac. And you probably don't have a PC with you. If you just like, it used to be that you could just buy an iPhone and have like nothing else in the house except for a power outlet and you were fine. Like, you know, you could plug it in, you could get on the cell network, blah, blah, blah. Now you do, like, I wonder if, if Apple, people in the Apple stores will, will ask people, oh, and by the way, do you have something that you're going to be able to charge this with? Because if you don't, that's a problem. They shouldn't let you walk out of the store without buying a little, you know. USB-C chargy turd thing for $29 or whatever. <laughs> it's only 19 now. You literally can't charge your only. phone unless you plug it in somewhere. It doesn't plug into the wall. It's got just got USB-C on the end, right? So I this this changed to sort of more decontenting. I mean, there was a time when I think iPhones came with a dock in the box, or was that just iPods? No, I thought they did. I think the very first iPhone might have come with a dock. Yeah, well, the iPods came with like a, an inline remote for the headphones and a dock, and they've just slowly been removing the amount of stuff in the dock and honestly, in the box. And honestly, I think that's the right thing to do for a variety of reasons. I just wish the pricing reflected it more. I don't think the pricing doesn't reflect it at all because you do get the double the storage on the Pro ones. So there's a little bit of a trade off there where it's like, okay, well, you're, you've more than made up for the for the price of the brick with that storage thing on the Pros specifically, and also. We don't know, like, is the A14 more expensive to manufacture on this new five nanometer process? And we're reading, like, the cost trade-offs are not clear when the, when the decontenting comes along with a new model, right? Because you don't know what the cost of these phones would be if they didn't do that. We're just assuming that's like, oh, Apple just gets all of that as profit, but it's probably not true, right? Whereas if they were selling, like, you know, the iPhone 11 Pro and then midway through the year took out the the adapters but kept the price the same then we could just say that you know apple is just taking all of that money or whatever but anyway i think it's a simplification and a correct reasonable simplification to stop giving everybody a million different headphones and a million different pro yeah. plugs and let people buy it in pieces i think it would be smarter for them to sell watches in pieces they are in separate boxes and now they're learning how to do returns separately like a la carte buying of the components is a more consumer friendly and an, and yes also environmentally friendly approach and so I applaud that even if we do feel like we're kind of, you know, getting a few bucks pulled out of our pockets, especially on the low end phones. But, you know, Agreed. progress. Right. And the other thing you have to do is like over time, inflation is a thing, too. Like you can't, you know, I think about this when everyone talks about $60 video games for years and years. It's like, well, $60 is not what it used to be in 1998. Right. You say, let's just keep the price the same. But it's actually less now because of the magic of inflation. But anyway, I'm. I'm not super mad about this. I do worry a little bit about where people can plug in their brand new phone to charge it. Yep, I agree. Um, speaking of money, something very peculiar has happened this year with regard to the cost of the iPhones, which we were alluding to earlier but never actually spoke about. For, I believe, the 12 and 12 mini, if you were to buy one outright, so a SIM-free model, it's 
$30 more than the price it would be if you buy a SIM-included model from Verizon or AT&T. Additionally, Sprint and T-Mobile here in the States, also $30 more than it would be from Verizon or AT&T, which is extremely peculiar, and I don't really know why that's the case. It's their what, preferred partner program. It's basically just, you know, this is the, the, the rich gets richer. And, you know, whatever business relationship there is between Apple and these various carriers, some of them have a worse deal. <laughs> and then the money gets passed on to you. And, like, who knows? Like, I mean, it's go, it falls into the same category as, like, being charged activation fees for, quote, unquote, mm. new lines. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. having to do with telecom companies is just a mess of fees. And it's... Disappointing and annoying and confusing, but almost anything having to do with telecom billing, uh, that's true of. And that is also true of, you know, phones. I mean, again, I still think back to the bad old days of contracts and all that stuff. And I I think the current world where essentially all your phones are unlocked for the most part, except what was it? Except for the AT&T one that was like AT&T uh, was the... No, that's that's almost it. If I recall correctly, because I was just looking at this the other day, um, if you buy a subsidized AT&T mm, phone, yeah. then, you, then it is locked, but literally everything else is yeah. not locked. So in general, this trend is going in the right direction, but weird carrier-related charges and fees are still a thing. All right. Uh, we also didn't mention MagSafe, which I'm actually kind of excited about. So I, I, I think I might have like blanked during this this part of the the, the presentation, perhaps because I was reflecting on five G from Verizon. Um, but <laughs> every <laughs> joke, it keeps on giving, keeps on giving. Um, so it, it, I guess that it's a couple of things all rolled into one, right? So it's improved faster wireless charging so it's like you know chi plus plus but it also is that the phone if i understand this right the phone itself has a magnet within it that you can use to attach like cases and wallets and things to the phone do i have that right yes yeah that's what apple's cases do in fact like if you think about a phone with flat sides how would you put a case on it like in general like our existing phones or whatever 11 or whatever you have even my 10s the case goes on by sort of wrapping around the front, and that's how it stays on. Like, it's it's all, you know, you have to sort of wedge the phone in there, and then the, the case wraps around the front, and that's why the, the phone doesn't fall out of it. With flat sides, in order to keep the phone in the case, you'd need a case that came up along those flat sides and then turned over the front surface a little bit. There'd have to be like a lip, right? And those little lips are always kind of annoying. And my impression, not having seen anyone or felt one of these in person, is that these magnetically attaching cases either don't have a lip at all or can get away with having less of a lip because the thing that is keeping the phone inside the case is that giant ring of magnets that's embedded in the phone and a corresponding rig of ring of either magnets or uh, you know magnetic material in the case and so they stick together and so you don't need as big a lip right the other thing they promoted is like, okay, once you've got a bunch of magnets embedded in the back of your phone, yes, you can use it to align to your charger better, and that alignment can give you more power. I think these chargers, what they say, they were like 15 watts as opposed to the first Qi chargers, which were 7.5 on what it was on the iPhone 10 or whatever. When, when did the first Qi charging come out? Something like that. Eight and ten. Yeah. So, uh, so that's good. The other thing you can do with magnets on the back of your phone is attach other things. Like they mentioned a dashboard mount for your car. Instead of having one of those like the claw machines where you put your phone in and it goes snapshot <laughs> like a bear trap and your phone is trapped in this little thing, like a basically mechanical friction-based grippy thing to hold your 
car and a phone mount. Now you can have a magnetic phone mount. You can have pop sockets that attach to the back instead of marring your phone with some super sticky, you know, adhesive thing or whatever. You can have a magnetic pop socket, right? All these things sound super cool to me. But the presentation wasn't over before I started to think about, oh, and by the way, one of the other ones they have is like a, uh, a wallet thing where you can put credit cards in, the little wallet attaches to the magnets in the back. What I was thinking is like, how powerful are these magnets? <laughs> You're going to do a car mount with it? If I go over, you know, if I go through a Boston pothole that has already bent <laughs> one of my rims on my car, is my <laughs> magnetically attached phone going to stay? That's got to be some a powerful ring of magnets, right? It's going to hold the case on. Is that is that enough to hold the case on it? Maybe it has no lip at all. Just the magnets are enough to keep my phone in that case. Or if I, you know, wave my arm because I lose my balance or something and I don't drop my phone, but I was just holding onto the case, does the phone go flying out of it? And the final thing is that I thought of when I saw the wallet is like, one thing I frequently do with my phone now is I put it in my pocket in my new pouch-free lifestyle, and then I put my wallet in that same pocket. And my wallet is full of credit cards. Do I want a bunch of credit cards saying laying smack up against a magnet that is powerful enough to keep my car in a car mount that is powerful enough to hold a pop socket because when people use pop sockets like it's between their fingers or whatever and they're just holding the pop socket they're relying on the fact that the pop socket is securely fastened to the phone they're not holding the phone the whole point of the pop socket is it gives you like a handle for your phone so these magnets have to be very strong i do not want any kind of card with a mag stripe anywhere near those magnets and if you get a case, like these cases that you get that attach magnetically, the cases themselves convey either have their own magnets or like they don't, you don't, you know, it doesn't shield your credit, you know, credit cards in your pocket along with it from the magnets in your phone because the cases themselves have secondary magnets so you can still use it to align with the Qi charger or whatever. So I'm a little bit worried about exactly how magnetic my phone is going to be <laughs> because with the uniformity of the line, they all have this. This is not just a pro feature. They all have these magnetic things, and it seems super cool, and it's essentially a variant of what I was talking about last show about, like, what can you do when you get rid of the port? Well, you can have semi-proprietary charging stuff that also supports Qi but also has magnetically attaching little manta ray things, blah, blah, blah. I swear to you I had not read any of these rumors if they had even been rumored. <laughs> I, I swear to you I had no idea. In fact, the thing I envisioned in my head was slightly different than what they did here, but they literally brought back MagSafe because it doesn't make any sense, honestly, because it's not quite the same thing. But, you know, that's what they had in their brand name bin, and so there we go. Like I said, hell, bring <laughs> back MagSafe. And they did with about, with about the same amount of reasoning. It's about magnets, right? But I am I have of two minds about these magnets. Are these magnets strong enough to do the jobs they're being asked to do? And are these magnets weak enough to not destroy all my credit cards? <laughs> so I have multiple issues with this. First of all, most credit cards are not using magnetic stripes anymore in, in most places. Like, it, it, it's there as a legacy thing. And oh, that's right. This, I this helps motivate people to, to put in a few more chip terminals because they have to for lots of other reasons. Uh, you know, great. Uh, hotel room keys is one of the things. That, again, I know we're not going to hotels now, but hotel room keys, it's going to take a while before they're all, all updated to do chip things. Uh, yeah. And being locked out of your hotel room is worse than not being able to buy something in the store. Yeah, although in all fairness, hotel room keys seem to wipe themselves if you breathe on them wrong. Like, <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> It's already a hostile environment, and I'm going to put my, yeah. oh, you give me my hotel key, I still didn't put it into my pocket, up, it's dead. Yeah. Um, secondarily, uh, uh, some people in the chat are saying that apparently the wallet thing shields the cards that are inside of it. I don't 
I didn't even know that was possible for magnetism, but yeah, cool. So I, I, I had heard through various people that there is shielding in the wallet thing, which makes sense because they know it's going to have credit cards. So my question is, right. shielded how is my first question. And second question is, that's all well and good for the cards that are in my special wallet, but what if I just literally put my actual wallet in the pocket with my super magnet phone? Right, so, so this this brings up number three. Oh, actually, I think they... So I know, like, one of the ways that watches are anti-magnetic for their, to, to keep their movements from becoming magnetized, um, one of the ways they do that is by encasing the movement in a soft iron cage. I don't know what that means or how that works, but that's a thing. So maybe they're doing the same kind of principle here for shielding. So that, if so, that, that actually can work. Um, but my, my final question here is, you put your phone in the same pocket as your wallet? Right. Thank you. Yeah, why would I not, why would I not do that? Because you have multiple pockets, and that makes one pocket really big and heavy and stick out really far. No, not my pants pocket, my coat pocket. Why is your wallet not in your pants pocket? It depends on what season it is. If it's coat season, I have big coat pockets. I put it there. Well, if you had a wallet that was less than 13 inches thick, you wouldn't have such a problem. <laughs> my wallet has slimmed down a little bit. But no, yeah. But because here's why. Because my keys go in my left pocket, and there's no way I'm putting the keys in the same pocket as the phone or my wallet. Sure. No, keys and wallet can share a pocket. Nothing. A phone gets its own pocket. No, I don't want my wallet being my, my wallet being damaged by my pointy keys. Your wallet is being damaged <laughs> by all the shit that's inside of it. Are you no, kidding me? It's not being damaged. I've had this wallet since I was a teenager. Obviously, it's not being damaged by anything. You've had the same wallet since you were a teenager? Yep. It's not good. <laughs> we're learning so many things today. You've seen it. It's a nice wallet. It was 30 years ago. It's a black leather wallet. Are you going to complain about my wallet? I mean, it's a little <laughs> thick. It's, it's, here's it's a little it's thick. Been, it's been slimming down. And you know when people lose a lot of weight, but like their skin doesn't catch up with it, yep. right? That's what my wallet looks like now. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a great oh, wallet. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> great. Yeah, you're, it's a good thing you're not having any keys touch it. It's still pretty good. Anyway, I've, I've been I've been trying to also slim down on the number of credit cards I have in there to try to you know like you know. Anyway, yes, it goes in the same uh, because it's they're both soft kind of flat things. The the phone goes screen against my body in the nice in the nice felt pocket, and the wallet goes outside of that. Oh my oh god! Lord. All right, so moving on. So Marco, you said you <laughs> planned uh, sitting here now. You planned to get a mini, but uh, you didn't tell us what color you think you're going to get. This I'm actually so one thing we haven't mentioned uh, at least I don't think so is that the mini and max are shipping three weeks later and ordering three weeks later than the uh, 6.1 inch models that the 12 and the 12 pro um, so I am torn I I think I want the red but the pictures have been a little inconsistent as to whether the red is more of like a salmon kind of color or whether it's like a more of like a deep red. If it's a deep red, I want it. If it's salmon color, I don't. Mm. Um, and I, I think I think it's the deep red because like whenever yeah, they do product red. reds, they're pretty mm. consistent. If you've right. seen any of the existing product red phones, this looks a lot like it in the pictures. Yeah, and that's why I think it's going to be great. And if so, I want that one. My my fallback is probably the white um, because I I'm still in like a light color kind of mood. Uh, I'm at the beach, man. I can't, I can't have a black phone. So you're gonna are you gonna get a case with this? My plan is no. Uh, I'm I want to see how it is without a case. Um, it does appear from the pictures that they've pulled the same um, finishing trick as with the 11 series, where the pros have brushed glass backs, but the non pros have polished glass backs. And as I mentioned last week, polished glass for me causes increased grip, whereas the brushed makes it like a little more slippery. And so. I think the combination of the straight sides, the polished glass back, 
and the smaller size should result in a much better handhold ability without a case. So we will see how this works out in practice. I hope it works out that well because I would love to not have a case. And if it ends up that the size is wrong for me for whatever reason, uh, I'm hoping to be able to use whatever bigger phone I would get instead, probably the 11 Pro or the 12 Pro, uh, I'm hoping to be able to use that without a case as well. But that's more optimistic um, given how poorly I use the existing you know, 11 Pro with without a case. Um, so, But if I stick with my plan of getting the Mini, uh, I do plan to go caseless. What about you, Caseyless? Uh, quick aside, the leather cases are not available right now, which is the case I used to use up until the 11 Pro, and I'm a little bummed out that they're not available at least at launch time. Yeah, but they're they're apparently coming around the same, like around that like mid-November timescale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for me, uh, I think it's been made plain already. I'm going to be getting, or I'm uh, hoping to get, uh, barring a pre-order catastrophe, a 12 Pro in the Pacific Blue. I I love the midnight green that I have currently. Even though, I mean, I like green, but I'm not the world's biggest green fan. I think that midnight green is excellent. Uh, This specific blue, I mean, blue is my favorite color, which is, you know, a very boring choice, I suppose. But um, I love this blue. I think it looks phenomenal from what I can tell. I am really looking forward to it. So I'm going to be getting a 256 gig uh, because my current phone is 256 and it's like half full. So that hopefully should be fine. A 256 12 Pro in midnight blue is the plan. Um, I don't, I never used to get Apple care. I did get Apple care on the 11 pro, which was clutch because if you recall, I shattered the back of it literally the day I got it. <laughs> um, I'm currently thinking that I'll probably go Apple care again because I'm probably going to try to go, uh, caseless caseless. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see where I land on that in the uh, 11th hour. Oh, and a uh, quick aside, we are continuing with the East coast friendly 8am or pre-order time, which I am extremely thankful for. We are not paying, not paying the price of the 3am pre-orders that we did for like five years running john what is what are your plans because it is a john syracuse a year what are you doing uh i'm getting the 12 pro because the size is you know within within parameters um (laughs) i continue to be disappointed by the uh, top of the line phones lack of cool colors you know i guess the blue this year instead of the midnight green or whatever but i you know all the other options are not great i also continue to be thwarted by the marrying of metal materials with colors, right? So I, this happened a bunch of different phones, but my current thing that I want with this one is I like the stainless steel, but I like stainless steel to just be the plain old silver stainless steel. But if you want that, you got to get white because it's the only one with plain old stainless steel on it. You can't get like a blackish one with with that stainless steel, right? And I don't really think I particularly like the white one. Now that is only relevant if I think I'm going to use it without a case. And as you noted, Casey, uh, the leather case is not shipping yet, so practically speaking, assuming these things are shipped and arrive uh, at times that are proportional to their release, I will have this phone without a case for a while because I do want the leather case. I've used it for the past several phones and I like them. So I'm going to get the phone, use it without a case for a little while because my case hasn't come yet, and then put the leather thing on it. So the model I'm probably going to get, though, is I don't like the gold. I like the silver, and if I had it in a case, I would never see the white except for the gigantic square that pokes out the back of the case. <laughs> so I'm going to do what I always do, which is 
sounds boring and it is kind of boring, but you know, it's, it's the option that I find the least objectionable, which is the graphite phone and a black leather case in April. Hey, that's how I rolled for years and years and years. But yeah. Nice. And, and I honestly, I like that on like my current phone. I like that look like I mine my current iPhone 10 S is whatever the darkest black one was in a black leather case. It's a black monolith. The camera that pokes out the back is also black. It's a good look. I like it. I didn't, oh, it is it a good look. I didn't compromise to get this. I always like the shiny metal, but when I see the shiny metal just sticking out the bottom of a leather case, it's a little bit jarring. So it's like, you know, what I would really want is the magical ability to use this phone without a case and have one with stainless steel uh, surround with a black back. But that doesn't exist, so I'm going all graphite and leather. I, I think that makes sense. And 256, I did the same exact thing. I looked up my storage, and I'm about 50% storage. So if I got a 128, my phone would be immediately full. So I've got to go 256. Marco, what's your plan in that department, 256? I'm usually hovering around 128 gigs of used storage. So, And and you know what? Getting a new phone every year, it's a wonderful luxury. What else is a luxury is never having to worry about disk space on your phone. Yep. <laughs> and so I figure if I'm going to do the ridiculous luxury thing for getting a new phone that I don't really need, uh, I might as well spend the extra, what is it, 100 bucks? Mm-hmm. To uh, to make sure that I never see a disk space warning, that's that's worth it to me. Yep, I completely agree. Grandpa Marco is so weird. He always says disk space on his phone. What is he talking about? <laughs> Where are the disks? Do they mean the cameras? What's a phone? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we don't have time for a full-on Ask ATP, but I cannot resist one question from Lou Piper, who writes, is John going to get the new Apple sleeve case to protect his iPhone? See, pouch, if you look it up, I don't think most people would think that it's the same thing as a sleeve because a sleeve is like stiff. You know what I mean? Right? Like the phone, like when the phone is not in the sleeve, you can still kind of see where the phone would go. Whereas when the phone is not in a pouch, you could wad it up into a ball and it doesn't, you know, hold the shape or whatever. So that that case does not appeal to me in any way whatsoever. It's not a pouch, right? It is a sleeve or, a, a, you know, other kind of case. Although I think Tiff had the, the most underappreciated uh, joke of the entire keynote uh, live tweeting when she made a joke that neither one of you got, got about uh, the sleeve case. The oh, imposter what? joke? Yes. I got it. Oh, have you played that? It's happening in my house. I mean, right. Of course. Well, I, I, I've heard I, I heard on the, uh, the we just did an episode about The Last of Us and Tiff said you didn't even want to be in the room when she was playing that. No, that game was disturbing. But no, the, <laughs> the imposter game around us, above us, whatever yeah, that's yeah. Uh, among us. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was really, but it does look a lot like that. You know, so I'm yeah. not, I am not going to use that sleeve case. I've never been into sleeves. That sleeve is not a pouch. And remember, I am mostly, uh, I'm mostly off Twitter. Not really. I'm mostly off the pouch lifestyle. We'll see. How, we'll see how this goes. Mm-hmm. New phone. It'll fit in my existing pouch, so I don't need to get a new pouch. Yeah, new pouch. Who this? <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I'm going to continue to try to be pouchless in these weird COVID times. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Apple, Verizon, and the 5G (laughs) network. (laughs) Well done. Also, Squarespace, ExpressVPN, and Bombas. And thanks to our members. Uh, If you want to be a member, you can join even faster with the new Verizon 5G network at atp.fm slash join. (laughs) 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 And thanks, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Now the show is over They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any 
research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L I-S-S, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, U-S-A, Syracuse, it's accidental. I can't believe you put me in the position to defend Verizon. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> yeah, you brought this on yourself. You no, could just you agree. brought this. Yeah, I, I hope you two, you two get a ton of feedback of people saying the five G stuff wasn't that bad, but honestly, it did oh, not bother we'll me. See. It did not bother we'll me see. like it apparently bothered you. It just <laughs> didn't. Of all the things to be mad about, five oh, G so gross. All right, so like. I don't know, a couple of months ago, and I don't remember how this came up. No, we don't have time for this. We're just going to have to save it for 401. No. No, we we're doing it now. Show's, show's too long. This is episode 400. It's important. <sighs> yeah, it's important. You got to do it now. You got to do it now. All right. So as I was saying, <clears throat> uh, a couple of months ago, we were talking about, oh, episode 400 is coming up. And, and as it turns out, it was timed with an Apple event. So thank you, Apple. Um, but John had indicated to the two of us that he wanted to spend a little time talking about why ATP is worth it. And I'm not entirely clear where you're going with this, John, but I'm really excited to hear about it. So, John, why is ATP worth it? Not ATP membership specifically, just ATP in general. Uh, I'm continuing this under protest because I think this episode is already too long. Let that uh, it be has noted. been noted. It has Sec- been noted. Second thing is, <laughs> my plan for, and we, I think this was like a year or, a year or more ago, it was like, oh, we're, gonna, we're coming up an episode or whatever, but it's like we never do anything for our milestone episodes. And it's true. We don't really do anything for a milestone. It just happens that 400 land an Apple event, which is nice. Or not so nice, depending on how long the stupid episode goes now that we're adding more <laughs> after show stuff to it. Um, but what I thought is like, you know what? We should do something for some, one of our milestone episodes to celebrate the fact that, you know, the show is still going or whatever. Um, and so here we are in episode 400. And what I wanted to do every couple hundred episodes is, <laughs> and this is just me personally, I don't, you know, Marco Casey can have no idea about any of this and can do what do whatever they want related to it or nothing related to it. This is just my thing. You said it like, why is ATP worth it or whatever, which makes it sound like it's a monetary thing. It wasn't. This this is all conceived before we even had membership. It's basically what do I hope people get from listening to ATP? Which can be turned to say, why should somebody listen to ATP? Like, you know what I mean? And it it's going to sound like an ad pitch, but really it's like, from my perspective, what do I think I'm doing here? <laughs> like, what am, what am I trying to accomplish? <laughs> what, like, what do I think this, this show is producing? And I think that at, at episode 400, which is an arbitrary milestone, but it's been a lot of years and it was a good time to reflect on that. And maybe if, you know, we'll see if there's a huge mismatch between what I hope I'm, what, what I'm hoping to give to people listening and what they're actually getting. But here we are, episode 400. We do occasionally get emails from people who say that they use our show as part of their sleep timer uh, routine, yeah. that they fall asleep <laughs> to it. And I think, I don't think they're saying it to be mean. I think it's actually a no, compliment. So. But mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely one of those like mixed compliments. Like, is, is that a compliment? I'm it's going to sure. give them weird dreams, though, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's what you want. I don't know. 
I mean, Casey um, uses it for the same purpose as we learned a couple of shows ago, where I kept, sa- <laughs> where I kept saying, why is it that turning off the lights helps? He's like, oh, it's getting me ready for sleep. It's That's like, right. but you yep. don't want to be sleepy during the show. So why are you trying to make yourself as sleepy as possible when we're recording the podcast so you're closer to complete sleep when the podcast ends? That means Duh. during the show, you're getting closer and closer to sleep, and we don't want that. Do you, anyway. do you not want that? I think you might want that. Anyway, this is... <laughs> That is not one of the things. So here, what do people get from it? What do I hope? Me personally, not Marco, not Casey. They can have their own answers. So like I said, no answers at all. What do I hope people get from listening to AT Pete's? I've got three things. This is like a keynote slide here. And they're kind of in priority order. But anyway, the number one thing that I hope people get from listening to ATP, I don't think most people would guess. Window management tips? No. <laughs> but you're close. Entertainment entertainment which is like well what do you mean you like that's your number one thing you you want to give people entertainment that's nothing to do with tech that has nothing to do with anything why do you why are you trying to you know entertainment is the most important thing that i hope this podcast provides now granted it's a weird kind of entertainment that appeals to only people who are tech nerds and into tech stuff right but everything else that i'm going to talk about the other two things none of that matters if people aren't motivated to keep listening and most people are not motivated enough by that other stuff to keep listening without it being entertaining. So the number one thing I, I hope I am delivering on the show that we collectively are delivering to listeners is entertaining you. And like I said, it's a weird kind of entertainment. We're not telling jokes. It's not a song and dance or whatever. It's entertain. It's an, us talking about a particular set of topics in what we hope, or what I hope is an entertaining way. Number two, this is the easy one. Information. Obviously, listening to a tech show should result in you knowing more about tech than someone who doesn't listen to a tech show, especially a tech show that's so long. <laughs> There's lots of information here, right? Um, and the like, the main effect in people's lives I want it to have is like when something dramatic happens in the in the in the regions, the things that we talk about. Oh, hey, did you hear they're changing the processors in Max? And when you hear that from your friend because they saw it on CNN or whatever, or they found out when they went into an Apple store and someone tried to start asking them questions about Intel and they didn't know what they were talking about. Oh, Macs have new processors now? It's the same ones they have on the phone? By the time you hear that from someone in the outside world, if you're an ATP listener, you've been hearing about our Macs for like three years, four years, right? You've heard about it so much that you're sick of the topic, right? You've heard (laughs) it from every angle. You've heard about like... The pros and cons and if it's feasible and what the trade-offs might be and what the timing might be and just on and on and on. You are more informed about this particular subject area than somebody who doesn't listen to the show. Similarly for things like the Mac Pro or like the whole problem with Apple and its Pro Max. Like, you know, arguably the show was founded on the problem of the Pro Max. Remember the original logo with the the Cheese Grater Mac Pro with the new label because they had introduced a quote-unquote new Mac Pro that wasn't really that new. And we're like, what's the deal with this? Are they still making professional Macs or whatever? That seems weird and, uh, you know, not of, you know, very sort of narrow interest. But fast forward a handful of years and the biggest company in the world is having this important roundtable meeting to describe how they're changing the direction of the company to address essentially the same problem that we had identified in the founding of the show. If you listen to the show, this is not a surprise to you. What is this Mac roundtable about? Who cares about Pro Max? What? Again, you would have heard about it, you know, 
for for literal years from many different angles you will be informed more informed than if you didn't listen to the show about all sorts of things that are going on in the tech industry and the final one is probably the most touchy-feely maybe after entertainment is insight so there's being entertaining and in whatever way that we manage to be entertaining you know i'm glad that people find any part of entertaining but i'm trying right there's the information, which is easy to convey. You can get that by you can get that from anywhere. You can read a website. You can you know read a tech magazine. You can just follow people on Twitter. You get information other ways. What do we have to offer besides just that information being spewed out and rehashing and and you know just talking about news of the day? Is insight. What does some hardware or software feature mean for the future of the user experience? How is the industry landscape changing? How does change in one tech sector affect some other tech sector? You know, what is what does Silicon Fab achievements have to do with what you end up being able to buy in the store? The gaming market versus app stores, streaming services versus Apple TV versus Apple TV plus, right? Changes to the core operating system and the features they affect. Yes, that includes file systems, right? New security features, new languages and APIs, like insight that we can provide because of who we are and our experience and what we know. We're software developers. We've, you know, some of us have sold software for a long time. We've worked in the industry. We know people in the industry. We can not just tell you, here's the information, but here is some insight about it. What does this mean? What does this technology or this change or this news story uh, actually going to, what is it going to change in the world or in my life today and in the future? So that's it. Three things that I hope I'm delivering with ATP that I hope we are collectively delivering. Entertainment, information, and insight. If the three of you think we're delivering like something entirely different, then maybe we're working at cross purposes. But... (laughs) This is what I think that we are providing to people over 400 episodes or trying to anyway. No, I think that that's completely reasonable. And I, I think I agree with all of it. And and I think as possibly the most touchy-feely of the three of us, I, I think it is important to recognize how incredibly lucky the three of us are that we have an excuse to talk to our good friends, you know, once a week. And then we can actually, you know, make money off of that, which is super cool. And I mean, think about where all of us were on February 7th, 2013, as we record seven years, eight months and seven days ago, like that is a long time. And, and we have put out an episode of ATP every single week for seven years, eight months and seven days. And that's something that's extremely important to us. And it's something that uh, I think that we are extraordinary, extraordinarily lucky to be able to do. And the fact that anyone listens to us, especially at this point in the 17 hour long episode, uh, it, it is, it is incredible to me that anyone listens to, to all three of us. And we are so incredibly lucky to any of you who listen, whether or not you're a member, whether or not you have purchased anything from any of our advertisers, we're just extremely lucky to have you. And I, I, I hope that we're growing as people over this time, the three of us. I mean, certainly when I started recording this with you two fine gentlemen, um, I was not yet an iOS developer. I was not yet a dad. Um, I, it was, I, I was a different human being seven years ago. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It's just I was in a very different place in life. Um, and now, you know, I'm, I'm much, much, much closer to 40 than I am 30. And, and in 2013, what was I, 30? I was not even 31 yet. Um, I was just shy of 31 at that point. So it has been, it's been quite a journey. And I agree with what you said, John. And I just wanted to take this one quick moment to say uh, thank you to anyone who has ever listened to us, who continues to listen to us. 
Um, it, it has genuinely been one of the great honors and pleasures of my life to be a part of this with the two of you fine gentlemen. And, and, and I, I'm, I pinch myself regularly because I cannot believe this is my life. So thank you to all of you, to the two of you and to all of you. Yeah. And I, I like the reason I wanted to talk about this is like, like I said, what, what do I hope people get from it is not to toot our own horn. Although episode 400 is some way of celebrating at the very least our longevity. As, as they say in on the incom- recent incomparable celebration episode, quantity. We <laughs> definitely have quantity. We did miss one week in the first year, I believe. Somehow doing a scheduling snafu, we had a skipped week. But a lot of that one, we did. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't very, think we did. The very, very first month. Go look at the gaps between episodes like one, two, three, and four. There's like a two-week gap in one of them. Oh, well, uh, that, okay. So that, that doesn't count. Asterisk. <laughs> yeah, because we didn't really, we didn't really embrace know, it until like March or April. Thank you very much. Yeah, and episode of one was like a half episode because it was like an after show of neutral Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we've done 52 episodes a year, right? So we've done quantity. But like, I'm, I'm not trying to say it's like, this is how awesome we are. I'm saying this is what I personally am trying to do. And, and it sounds like Casey is more or less on the same page. It's like, this is what we are trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To the extent that we are able to succeed enough to get people to continue to listen to the show, we are all eternally grateful. Like, But but that's that's what we're trying to do, right? And I don't know who this is for. Maybe it's just for me to say out loud, or maybe it's just for me to express what I'm always thinking when I'm trying to do this, or just to explain. And maybe it's just to hear from people to say, that's not what I'm getting from your show at all. I just, it, it helps my iguana go to sleep. Like, I don't even know. Like, well, honestly, whatever value you're getting out of it, thank you. Thank you for listening. That's great. But here, I, when I'm doing the show, I'm trying to entertain, inform, and provide some measure of insight. You know, the way I listen to podcasts, you know, I've been a, a heavy podcast listener since before we did the show, um, for years beforehand. And, uh, and there's always been two kinds of podcasts with me. Uh, there's the kind of bigger mass market shows that you listen to for either like news value or for, you know, quote, storytelling. And, and this would be, you know, the big popular, like, public radio style shows. Some, you know, some of the, the very first big podcasts, like This American Life, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and or, or, you know, shows that are very focused on news. Things like The Daily or, like, a lot of the Slate shows. You know, like, like news shows. And those I listen to a little bit of. I, I, I listen to almost none of them because... What I really am into with podcasts is the other world of podcasts that's not primarily information driven. It's primarily people driven. And when I listen to most of the shows I listen to, many of them are the shows that, you know, many of the listeners listen to, like, you know, John Gruber's show. And the shows I listen to are usually about the people on them. Like, there is so much more about the people than about the topics they're talking about. And so in in John's categorization, that would be the entertainment side of things being number one. To me, that is number one, and it, but it goes beyond just entertainment as it's like it isn't just like, you know, comedy hour. It's like, no, these are these are people who I consider my friends. And some of them are my actual friends in real life. <laughs> Many of them aren't. And I just feel like I just feel this great human connection to them because I get to know them. And you know, I, I tell people who who want to know about podcasting or who want to start a podcast, they're looking to grow their audience or, or they just want to know how it works. I always tell them that, like, the, 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 the subject matter is usually what gets people in the door, but what keeps people there is the people. 
and the the host of the show, the chemistry they have with each other, their personalities they they show off to the world. I listen to Merlin Mann and John Roderick talk more than I talk to most of my friends. <laughs> I talk to the two of you guys and to the hundred thousand people listening in the audience <laughs> indirectly more than like I talk to like my own mother or my sister. <laughs> like, and it's crazy to me to, to think that, but like podcasting is, is so much about people and it's about that connection you feel to the hosts. It's about how much you enjoy having them talk to each other and talking to you. And so to have this show go for this long and to, to have succeeded so much so far, and with more to go, like this, to be clear, we're not ending the show. We're, we're just <laughs> celebrating 400. No one was thinking that until you said it. Why'd you have to do that? <laughs> well, it's hard, now I'm worried, it's hard man. to talk about this kind of stuff without it sounding like it's an ending. <laughs> just at the end, we go 400 more. Yeah. No, but then then, then but when we get to 800, everyone's going to be like, is this it? Oh, my God. And then, we said, go, and then we do 800 more. <laughs> you said it's eight a, years ago. It's a very easy sequence. Yeah. Anyway, point is, I'm really honored and thankful for our audience that, that you you seem to really like us because otherwise you wouldn't listen to the show just for the information. Because while we have some information, you know, we, we also BS a lot and we, <laughs> like us? we, we will, we, it's funny. Like we, we will occasionally get an email from somebody who's like, you should stick to tech. Why'd you talk about this thing for 10 minutes? And I, I whenever I get one of those emails, it, it, again, this isn't frequent. I think we've driven most of those people away by now, but <laughs> whenever I get one, I think like, have you ever heard the show? Like, have, how far have you made it? <laughs> like, like, I, I, I often think, like, is this person, is this their very first episode they've heard that they're not complaining that we don't just stick to tech? Because it has to be. Because, like, anybody who wants us to just be an information dump, you're going to be disappointed pretty quickly <laughs> because that isn't what we do. We do some, you know, segments that are information-filled, surrounded by a bunch of BS, that of us goofing around with each other or, or we're calling it entertainment now margo not bs right yes right. <laughs> thanks but like the point is like our show is a lot more than just the information it always has been and it always will be and people who want just pure information there's a lot of other tech shows that'll give you that we don't you don't need us for that and you probably shouldn't use just us for that <laughs> you come here for us and for that, I am eternally grateful because it's such an honor that so many people want to listen to hours of us BSing with each other. That's fantastic. And I, I'm just so happy about that. And I'm very thankful for that. <laughs>